Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Seth Snacks. And I'm Star Wars, the Eric Unleashed. And you, you know, Seth, I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't noticed yet. Hmm? What? Sorry, man. I was just looking over some of the stuff we're covering in this week's news round. I I still, I can't believe Bug Snacks is coming to Switch. I, I literally couldn't even wait to use it as my name this week. And anyway, noticed what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know you're super excited about that, but doesn't it look a little more festive here around the HQ today? I mean, it looks pretty normal to me in here. Should, should I be worried? No, of course not. Probably not. Maybe not. But would have I ever done anything worrying, Seth, in the in the past few days? It's just that tomorrow's Easter, and I really wanted to get into the spirit, so I hid Easter eggs all over the HQ. Well, you may have hit them a bit too well, buddy, because I, I can't see anything here at first glance. But with Easter happening tomorrow, with Kirby Month still in full swing, we are going to be counting down the top five times the Kirby franchise has appeared as an Easter egg this week. And with their latest game finally coming to the Nintendo Switch, we're looking back at one of Drinkbox's earliest games this week in the Indie Showcase. It's Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack. And actually, come to think of it, I really should have painted a few of these eggs like blobs. Wait, so so these eggs are painted too? I, God, I must really be going blind. <laughs> come on, Seth, get it together, man. I mean, some of these are even built out of Legos, which I did in honor of our full review of Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. This week, I used a ton of different colored bricks too. One of them may even be made out of kyber bricks. What I can't I can't even see any. Hang on, you know what? No, I, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna find all these right now. This is ridiculous. Where are all of these? All right, guys, this might take him a little while. Might keep him busy for a little while. So I'm just gonna go ahead and get the intro started. It's time to go all in. How many of them are there? <laughs> Eric, I think I found all, what was this, 78, 78, that's got to be all of them. I found all 78 of them. Sure, Seth, all 78, sure. Oh, sure, that's, that, that's totally all of them, completely all of them. This, yeah. this is going to be sure. driving me crazy the entire episode, isn't it? Oh boy, well, and in any event... Uh, we want to welcome new and returning listeners to All In and Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. Of course, um, Easter is tomorrow. Passover actually is today at the time this episode goes live. So happy Passover to everybody celebrating. And, yes. um, you know, happy Easter tomorrow, of course. So we got a great show lined up. Um, actually, real quick, I've only got one piece of housekeeping that I wanted to talk about just right here at the top. I wanted to shout this out. There's going to be an exciting announcement stream happening over on our Twitch channel next Ooh. Thursday, Eric. Sounds exciting. 
Sounds exciting. I'm not going to reveal what it is. Um, there, but there is a little. There's some rumblings going on. There's some exciting stuff happening in the all-in sphere. Uh, I'm going to be going live. More details to come. Definitely stay tuned in the Discord and on our social media channels as we ramp up. But yes, next Thursday on Twitch.tv/AllInPodcast, there is going to be a very special stream uh, with some announcements. I'm going to talk about some personal announcements. I'm going to talk about um, some all-in related announcements. I may even, I may even have something to say about All In Episode 100, Eric. Ooh, look at us the doing aus- announcements of announcements. Yeah, the auspicious Episode 100, which we are now very close to, and Eric and I are already hard at work making that a uh, an event episode of this show. Going to be exciting, exciting stuff. So again, that's happening next Thursday. But uh, until then, uh, definitely stay tuned. Eric, what's been going on in your world this week? Uh, well, I'm very briefly going to touch on something not very fun and not very nice. Uh, I do want to say thank you to those of you who did reach out to me and offer your, your good vibes and your good juju. Uh, because unfortunately this past, this past Monday after an unfortunate bout with lymphoma, we Mm. lost our good boy, Rocky. It was an Australian shepherd, family dog the bestest dog we took a poll he was the bestest dog ever good boy very very good boy so it's been admittedly a little bit of a rough week he was incredibly beloved by everybody in our family and frankly everybody that we ever met we've had so many unsolicited uh people message us and reach out to us and say he was the best dog they'd ever met like i I know everybody thinks they have the best dog I think we actually have some evidence to support our claim, but, <laughs> but yes, thank you for, for those of you who did reach out to me and offer your, your good vibes and your good juju this past week. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of those things too. I mean, losing pets is, is awful. We, when I lost Ollie last year, um, or actually no, it wasn't last year. It was two years ago. Man, I can't believe how fast yeah. time has flown. Tell um, me about it. uh, we, um, you know, that, that was also another situation where the community just, you know, send, sends out love. And I think people understand how rough losing a pet is and how close of a connection you can have with pets. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this, um, Rocky, I remember when you first were staying with your parents, when you first moved to Florida, kind of before you got fully moved into your condo and you're kind of transitioning. And I think we actually recorded an episode of all in from your parents' house. Um, and Rocky was by your side, like the whole way. And I just, I remember there, there are a couple periods where like, and you, this may have even come through in, in whatever episode that is, but like you could literally hear Rocky just like panting and just like hanging out <laughs> next to you and stuff. So it's kind of cool. A little, little bit of Rocky in, in, in all in history there. <laughs> He's awesome. He was such a good dog. Love him very much, very much going to miss him. Um, but I, I don't want to let that bring down the entire episode. Uh, you know, there's a time and a place and and we're all, you know, we're all dealing with it over here, but you know, one of the ways that I deal with things and one of my, you know, things that, that I love to do is this show and hanging out with all of you wonderful people. And thankfully I still get the opportunity to do that. So this past week wasn't all bad. Uh, I did get to obviously played a ton of Lego Star Wars this past week, gearing up for our review later on here in the show, played an absolute metric ton of Lego Star Wars this past week. But in addition to that, uh, 
I did actually get to beat the House of the Dead remake another ten times or so. <laughs> just been just been charging through that, huh? It's just so so fun. It really is. And there's one thing in particular. Obviously, you know, you play through the first couple times, and it's somewhat similar to how you remember it. However, once you start to unlock the uh, the extra weapons, there's four extra weapons in the game. There is a an assault rifle. There is a crossbow, like a straight up wooden stake gun that I don't really know how it differs that much from the crossbow, but shut up. Uh, but then there's an actual grenade launcher in House of the Dead remake on the Nintendo Switch. And I've got to say, there's just something so incredibly cathartic and satisfying about playing through a game, playing through a light gun shooter with a weapon that can basically just screen wipe everything. (laughs) You just turn the corner and there's three or four zombies there that you're meant to take out with a pistol, but instead you just fire your grenade launcher and it just clears the screen immediately. Not really something to use when there's civilians around, but it's just so ridiculously satisfying. It really is. I played through like half a dozen times just because it was so satisfying. It was so cathartic to play through this game that I've, that I know so well already, but just going through and just wiping everything off the face of the planet. It was so funny. And these weapons are new to this version, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're all brand new to the remake. They made a couple small touches to the gameplay, but this was the big one. I've okay. I'm not aware of any version of the original House of the Dead that has anything other than the regular pistol. Okay. But it's it's so much fun. It really was. And it helped me collect a lot of the uh there's actually quite a few achievements that you can unlock in the game and it's just a light gun shooter. It's just a ton of fun. And once you unlock the extra weapons, you have them permanently. It's not like you just unlock them for that single run that you're on. Once you've once you've unlocked the weapons, you have them permanently. You have access to them permanently across whatever playthrough you go through. Even That's in cool. even in the game's new horde mode, which, like I said last week, like quintuples the number of zombies in the game. You turn the corner and there's genuinely like a dozen of them coming at you. Even with something like that, the, the grenade launcher just mows down absolutely everything in your path. So it, it really feels like God mode. <laughs> that's awesome i'm glad you're having fun with that i i know there are some people who are a little lukewarm on the game but it sounds like it's it's what you were looking for anyway i mean i it's a light gun game on the nintendo switch and again this was something i touched on last week as well you're trying to translate a 35 minute arcade game right. to a console that doesn't have true light gun capabilities so Again, you've got the the gyro controls and you can uh, adjust. There's a ton of options to adjust the sensitivity of the movement of the crosshairs with the left stick. And there's quite a bit of things that you can do to to tailor your control of the reticle. But still, ultimately, I do wish that I'd release the, the switch zapper, you cowards. <laughs> that would be amazing. Please. That would be so good. With with Link's crossbow training too, just do that. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm down. I'd you be know thrilled. What? I'm down. 
And I did actually, because I hadn't played it on the Switch, I played it years ago back on the, the PlayStation 3, but I did this past week, also gearing up for our indie showcase. I actually played through the Nintendo Switch version of uh, Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack. Nice. With, with its little gyro and motion controls incorporated into it for the Nintendo Switch. So that was actually a really interesting little tweak on a game that I've already uh, beaten and played. So, But it was really nice to, to revisit that. Super excited for another game that Drinkbox may have in store for us from this past week. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. And lastly, yeah, Moon Knight continues to be amazing. Just give... Just give Oscar Isaac the Emmy at this point. Just let him have it. He's 100% convincing both as this hardened, badass mercenary and then immediately transitions into this meek London yes. English Egyptologist. <laughs> Just timid and yeah, uncertain and, of himself. And maybe even more than that. Looking forward to seeing what the last three episodes of Moon Knight have in store. But very happy to see that they have done my boy proud. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I need to catch up. I haven't seen the latest episode yet, but I'm enjoying it too. Um, in my little world, so there's a couple things I want to shout out right at the top. Um, I was actually on the latest Atui Talks. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, hanging out with our friends Jules and Perry. Yeah. Yeah, Jules and Perry that that do the Atui Talks podcast every week, and uh, Jules just kind of hit me up, and he was literally he was like, "Hey, uh, like, do you want to come on Atui Talks tonight?" <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, sure," <laughs> you know. And it's just a real quick like if you guys don't know what they do over there, it's just a real quick podcast where typically they provide some sort of development update on Hatch Tales, or they talk about some of the other stuff they have cooking up. They've got a game coming out soon called Run Box Run, um, which I can't talk too much about, but I I will say um, I I'm one of the the play testers of that game, and and I can't, I'm not going to give any impressions Ooh. or say anything that they haven't said already. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, we've been in very close contact with Jules and the folks at Atui and stuff, and they're great friends of ours. So it was a total treat to, uh, to come on their podcast and chat about Kirby. We just talked about Kirby. He gave me like Jules hit me up and he was like, so what we're going to do this week is we're all just going to gush about a Nintendo franchise between these franchises. And he gave me a few to choose from. And I was just like, it's Kirby month. We got to talk about Kirby, you know, it is Kirby month. So, uh, so it's just, it's basically just like 30 minutes of us chatting about Kirby. So, uh, definitely check that out. Atui Talks, that's on YouTube, on the Atui YouTube channel. So, um, and I'll put a link to that in the episode description for you guys to check out. Um, so again, thanks to Jules and Perry for having me on there. Um, I want to give another shout out, uh, a huge shout out to the, the fine folks at Daku, Daku Creations. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I apologize if that's not how you pronounce it, but it is a uh, an independent development studio, very small studio. Apparently, it's just two brothers. Um, actually, their their uh, bio on Twitter is two brothers making indie games the old fashioned way from a room in the attic. <laughs> so. I, I guess it's just two brothers making games together in their attic, which is really cool. I mean, it doesn't get more indie than that. Um, and they put out this game called Roll uh, Rotund Rebound. I keep wanting to call it Rotund Rollout for some reason. I guess Pokemon on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe that's the next one. I don't know. But uh, Rotund Rebound. It's a, it's a brand new game. Just came out this week. 
And I was looking at this and I'm, you know, and I've got Kirby month, you know, in my mind and I'm like, you know, this looks like it could be something maybe we could cover for a, a Kirby month in the showcase later on this month or something. So, um, let me reach out and, you know, and see if they'd be interested in working with us and, and maybe they have codes available or something. So I, I shot them a message and they were like, Hey, yeah, sounds great. We'd, we'd love to have you and, and the all in community, uh, learn about this game and join us down the rabbit hole. Um, cause I, I made a bad rabbit hole pun when I reached out to them and, um, <laughs> They gave us a, uh, the main character is a rabbit. They gave us a uh, kind of a quick, like thanks, rundown thanks for clearing the, that up for us. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys knew what the, the bad pun was. Um, they gave us a quick kind of background of, of the game's development, how it started off as like a Wii U game. And then they kind of retooled it into this game, Rotund Takeoff. And now they've got Rotund Rebound, which is a full sequel to it. And uh, next week, I believe on the 21st, they've got kind of a supplementary side game called Rotund Zero, which was actually the first one that I discovered. Rotund Zero very much looks like that kind of Kirby-style Game Boy kind of platformer. So anyway, these guys hit us back, and they provided us access to all three of them which was like just above and beyond way more than we even asked for huge, huge, huge props and thanks to those guys. Um, and, and they like gave us each individual codes. I mean, like that's, I mean, so nice, very, very kind of them. Um, so anyway, Rotund, the, the Rotund series is, I'll, and, and I've used this phrase a few times, but Eric, it is a Seth game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of game that I know isn't going to be for everybody, but it is 1000% for me. Um, and I want to get much more deep into this series, um, you know, kind of in the future in the show. Like I said, I think it'd be a great candidate for a Kirby Month Indie Showcase. Um, so maybe we'll touch on that later on this month. But um, the, the Rotund series is this kind of like very challenging, difficult, uh, unique platformer that is all based around kind of the, the level design is like, these little arrows, these little platforms that send your character in, a, in the direction the arrows are pointing in. And it's all about navigating the space as this, like you, you have no actual you know control of a jump. You're just bouncing on these arrows and navigating the levels. And you, it actually reminds me of one thing really specifically, and this is going to be a deep cut, but it reminds me a lot of Kuru Kuru Kururin, which Gesundheit. is a weird, yeah, which is a weird, you know, previously Japan only until it finally came to the Wii U Game Boy Advance game. And the reason it reminds me of this is because it requires the player to really kind of understand the physics of the game. And it requires the player to really kind of um, get to like, you have to examine the, the level layout and the actual design of the game more than I think most platformers require you to, which is something that I dig. And, and I like that it actually is a little bit more interesting than, oh, this is a unique movement, you know, system or whatever, but it's just a standard by the numbers platformer. It's more than that. So I'll give you a good example. Early on in, I think, Rotund Takeoff, they present a situation where you're bouncing, but there's also an enemy character that is bouncing and you guys are bouncing at the exact same timing and at the exact same height. So you have to examine the level and realize that, oh, there's actually a short bounce platform over here that I can hop over to real quick and adjust. Like, so now I'm jumping a little bit off time with him and I can jump over him or under him because I'm off time with him now. I don't know if that all makes sense, but it's 
I, I find that so interesting, just a really interesting design um, that, that I've never seen anything exactly like it before. Um, it's all wrapped around this kind of cute aesthetic that also kind of reminds me of Kirby because it has like a dark undertone to it. Um, I, I, I won't get too deep into that, but, um, and then another big reason this is a Seth game is because it's got a timing element to it. So it's all about kind of optimizing your run and figuring out how to shave seconds off your time, which I obviously love. So, um, all this to say the Rotund series, Rotund Takeoff, Rotund Rebound, which just came out and Rotund Zero, which is coming out next week. All very, very interesting games that, uh, that I can't wait to play more of. I've been playing a lot of that this week. Sounds rotund. It is, it is quite rotund. So, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to play that this weekend. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, another game kind of in a similar vein that actually got shadow dropped this week out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, this was crazy. This was crazy. Uh, for bras, is it for bras for bras? I don't know. Um, Fabres. They're too long. A's. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Fabres. Sure. Uh, they shadow dropped a sequel slash spin-off supplemental game to uh, their their 3D platformer Demon Turf, which came out yeah, late last year. Yeah, I thought it was year. DLC for, for a little while because it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's only five bucks. It's not a full size. I thought it was just an addendum to Demon Turf, but no, it's a standalone adventure. A standalone game, and uh, I actually did a little video for it up on our YouTube channel, just kind of showing the game off, and what was funny was, I never got around to playing Demon Turf when it came out. Um, I wanted to, but it just sort of slipped through the cracks, and I haven't had a chance to actually play the main game yet. So, Demon Turf Neon Splash, this new one, is my first brush with Demon Turf. And I was like, you know what? It's five bucks. I'm going to just give this a shot, make a little video, and this will be my first exposure to uh, to Demon Turf. And this will be kind of a cool perspective on it because I was really curious if this was going to be kind of like a addendum or a challenge mode that's meant to appeal to people who have only played Demon Turf before, or if this could serve as something that new players could latch onto is almost like a kind of like a more extended, like paid demo or something like that, giving you kind of an appetizer before you can, you know, if you like it, go into the main game and have much more content. That's kind of the vibe I get from neon splash. Um, the latter, because it's like you said, $5 and it's 10 stages. However, each of the 10 stages has basically three ways you can play through it. Um, you can play through it for collectibles because there are collectibles on each of the stages. There is one collectible that is a hidden one in each stage, which is like this vinyl record. And that unlocks a remix version of that stage, which is completely different. So it's basically a whole other stage. And then you could play through the game for speedruns, for timing and, and unlocking different trophies and beating your best time and stuff like that. So you basically have at minimum three different ways to play each of the 10 stages in the game. It's essentially 30 stages um, for a $5 game. And it's also just a rock solid uh, 3D platformer with a really unique like art style and vibe. I will say um, the controls are really tight and they feel good, but it is like the kind of thing where it has some unique mechanics that take some getting used to. So if you go and watch our video on youtube.com slash all in podcast, uh, you'll see me struggling quite a bit to, uh, to come to grips with the game's controls, but, uh, wound up really enjoying myself. I'm, I'm definitely gonna be playing a lot more of that this weekend. And, um, honestly, 
I it, it does make me want to just you know dive into the full game. So I th- I think mission accomplished for Demon Turf Neon Splash. Well, um, I I pre-ordered my physical for Demon Turf from Limited Run, so that's all I'm waiting nice. on personally. Nice. That's, I I plan on absolutely diving headfirst into that when I get my physical copy in for that. So I don't know. Might have to to check out. Uh, might have to check this one out as uh, as a prelude to when I get the yeah. full game. Yeah, a little appetizer, get get a feel for the controls. I think that can only help. And it does have like some. It's it's got this thing. I think it's called the playground, where you can. It's just like this hub where you can just like futz around with the controls and play around. It's it's really cool. It's really good. Uh, I like it a lot. And then there's a secret game that we're actually embargoed for that, that the publisher provided us uh, graciously provided yep. us a code for. Um, and there is going to be a YouTube video, uh, showing off that game next week as well. So a lot of, uh, content in the video space from us and more to come. And we'll have much more to say about super secret game, uh, next week on the show. But, um, and then, yeah, just like you, I mean, ton of Lego star Wars, you know, we'll have way more to say about that later in the show, but there's actually a lot of news to get into this week. Some, you know, interesting stories, um, some kind of unbelievable stories, to be honest with you. So what do you say we get into it? <laughs> Are you going to be okay? I think I can manage. I think I can manage. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, gird up, friends. Some really, really cool announcements from this past week. So let's talk about it. Now, going all the way back to last weekend, not too long after our previous episode went live, we got a fairly blockbuster announcement regarding Kingdom Hearts. Obviously, it Mm. is the 20th anniversary of the iconic franchise. And as a matter of fact, we did a top five uh, based around Kingdom Hearts 20th anniversary just a couple weeks ago. Top five... Uh, crossovers, top five most insane crossovers in Nintendo history that somehow worked. I really wasn't expecting too much. I thought the Kingdom Hearts games coming to the Nintendo Switch was a perfectly fine way to celebrate two decades of this iconic series. I was not expecting a Kingdom Hearts 4 announcement. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird, man. I, I, I feel really weird about this announcement because not only was it an announcement, but very much in line with the Kingdom Hearts 3 announcement, they even showed like a trailer that has some snippets of, I don't think that's going to be final gameplay, but I think it's going to be like kind of concept footage to show what they're aiming for with final yeah. gameplay. Um, and of course, you know, they're they're not going to give any sort of release date, no release date, no platforms. This thing's not coming out anytime soon. Um, and we don't even know, I mean, look, at this point, the entire Kingdom Hearts series uh, is available on Switch, albeit with, frankly, subpar cloud versions. So we don't know if Kingdom Hearts 4, when it comes out, is going to come to a Nintendo platform. But the reason we're mentioning it is because now there is precedent. I mean, hopefully it's not going to be a cloud version. Um, hopefully it'll be native on Switch 2 or whatever is out in, you know, 2027 when this thing finally comes out. See, that's, um, that was my whole thing is like, just wait another five years to announce it for the 25th anniversary of Kingdom Hearts. Because, yeah, come on, come on, Square Enix. You know, this game isn't releasing any time in the next five years. No. Yeah. They, and, and honestly, too, I mean, I it's it's just the, the fan move. It's just they knew they were going to own the Internet that day. You know, and they did. 
and um you know and, and everybody was freaking out about it there's some you know people already pouring through the trailer it seems like maybe there's i mean speaking of star wars seems like there's going to be a star wars world in this one could um, you imagine could you just imagine if kingdom hearts 4 had like aladdin like you go back to agrabah but then you go to mcu new york yeah but then you go to the death star i i honestly think that's what they have to do like not only do i think they're gonna do it not only is there evidence of that happening i think they have to like i don't know how you get bigger than because i mean you know kingdom hearts has always had the disney stuff kingdom hearts 3 introduced pixar i mean it's the logical next step for Kingdom Hearts 4. And I just want to see just dumb lightsaber keyblades. You know, there's just... Oh. <laughs> I just want to oh. see that. I just want to see that. <laughs> Imagine dual wielding like a lightsaber keyblade and like a Captain America shield type keyblade in the other hand. Yeah, yeah, why not? It's just like Kingdom Hearts has got such a weird effect on me. Like it's just so dumb, convoluted to, to, to illustrate how convoluted this series has gotten. The first words of the trailer is the lost master arc, which is three words that make no sense or four words that make no sense together um, and mean basically nothing. What the lost master arc means nothing. I'm sorry. Um, we don't know what that means. And when the game comes out, we're not going to know what that means. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what that means is basically how you describe Kingdom Hearts, the franchise yeah. as a whole. Yeah, but it's just like, I really just want to see lightsaber keyblades and anime melodrama. And, you know, I want Sora to be chatting with, you know, Captain America and Spider-Man or whatever. Just dumb stuff, man. Like, it's just, I'm just along for the ride. The, the Kingdom Hearts, I, I feel like I'm held hostage by the Kingdom Hearts series. I'm, I'm just like... I, I can sit here and be like, wow, this looks like dumb anime trash, but I know I'm going to buy it and play it on day one. You know, I I already know. I platinumed Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, I, it's just going to happen. Um, so regardless of anything, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in for it. I'm, I'm on the ride. <laughs> and of course, Kingdom Hearts 4 is the big headline coming out of that entire announcement, but it wasn't actually the only game announced. And this one's weird, but in addition to Kingdom Hearts 4, they announced an iOS game called Kingdom Hearts. Was it the Missing Link? Missing Link. Missing Dash Link. Yeah. Apparently, this is supposed to be sort of like a... Uh, th this is supposed to be some kind of... Kingdom Hearts is a series in phases. Phase 2, I guess, ends with Kingdom Hearts 3... Missing Link, and then that ties into Kingdom Hearts 4, I guess, which then kicks off Phase 3 and the Lost Master arc. Uh, I don't know. My head hurts just even trying to break all this down for you guys. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess. It really is. And of course, when you talk about Kingdom Hearts and, you know, all the anticipation surrounding the newest game, I think most people's and even admittedly our first thoughts go to the new Disney owned worlds that we could wind up 
traversing because for the most part, all the worlds, all the levels that you've been that you've been able to explore through Kingdom Hearts have been Disney owned properties. Do we think there's a chance that they could start to lean more into Square Enix properties? Because that was the entire point of the collaboration in the first place is it was Final Fantasy cross Disney. And we've had a ton of Final Fantasy represent, uh, representation over the years, very famously. Uh, Cloud and Squall or Leon, as he in, uh, insists on being called in the franchise. And of course, Sephiroth, the one-winged angel, as the ultra super boss of the franchise. But, you know, Square Enix has a lot more properties. And I do wonder if it's about time we got one or two Square Enix-themed worlds. If we went to the world from Secret of Mana, or if somehow, inexplicably, you know, chaos... If Stranger of Paradise showed up, you know. Well, so, yeah. So, they, I mean, like, Neku has popped up from um, from The World Ends With You, um, yep. has popped up in Kingdom Hearts Stream Drop Distance. So, like, you, they do work in Square Enix characters, but you're right. We haven't really seen them, like, go crazy with Square Enix-related worlds. It would be cool to, especially since this, this new world that they showed, I guess, Quadratum, which is, like, it's Japan, but it's also, like, afterlife Japan that Sora is now in after the events of Kingdom Hearts 3 alongside this character who only appeared in Kingdom Hearts Unchained Cross or whatever, which is another mobile game. And they both exist in this weird Japan as like an afterlife. I I, I don't know. But um, so <laughs> it would be cool to see them do something like if Quadratum kind of doubled as their take on, you know, Tokyo or like Shibuya or whatever. If you could go to Shibuya, if there was kind of a more stylized version of that, that you could visit in the world ends with you kind of world or whatever. Um, that, that would be cool. It'd be cool to see, you know, if even if you just did a dedicated, you know, Midgar, you know, world would be cool. It'd be cool to see them lean further into the Square collaboration versus the Disney collaboration. But I, I do so. feel like, I think so too, but I do feel like the, the fans are just all focused on Disney. Like the vast majority of the fans are just all about the Disney worlds. Like that's like all they care about, you know? I don't know. What about you guys? What worlds would you like to see show up in Kingdom Hearts 4? Let us know. Definitely do. It's uh it's 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 gonna be a video game. One day it'll come out and it's gonna be a video game. One day it'll come uh, out. <laughs> Our kids are probably gonna be podcasting about it when it finally releases, but yeah. yeah, and we'll see again. We don't know when or what platforms, if it's coming to Nintendo, if it's gonna be a cloud version on Nintendo Switch 2 or 3, who knows? Um but we do have a little bit of sad news. At least I, I find it to be sad news. Um, it feels like it, it, doesn't it? I think so. I It's weird because um, earlier this week, Vicarious Visions uh, put out a tweet announcing this is the driest, most like melancholic uh, tweet I think I've ever seen a company release. I'm, I'm quoting this verbatim right now. Um, Vicarious Visions on Twitter tweeted out, quote, We've officially merged with Blizzard Entertainment. Our development team will remain in Albany, New York, and fully dedicated to Blizzard games. We invite you to follow us at Blizzard underscore entertainment, end quote. Um, again, just the most dry tweet of all time announcing that this studio with more than 30 years of history has effectively been liquidized and absorbed 
into the broader scope of Blizzard Entertainment. Um, this is so sad to me. I mean, you know, this company has a long history, founded by two brothers in high school in 1991, acquired by Activision in 2005. I mean, we have all played, you know, games with the Vicarious Visions logo over the top of it. You know, we've all played their Crash Bandicoot games, their Spider-Man games, their Tony Hawk games, you know. Um, and I hope that this is a good change for the team. Like, there, it, not much is kind of going to change at the studio level because they are going to be in their same offices and everything like that. And I, I hope this is a good change for them. But as a fan, I'm like, I, I hate that these guys are being reduced to just like a support team for Blizzard games, you know? See, here's here's my big concern with that is the fact that Blizzard and Activision Blizzard are still very famously embroiled in being, you know, transitioned themselves underneath the Xbox umbrella, underneath the Microsoft right. umbrella. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot that could happen because there's a lot of transition going on within Activision Blizzard right now. That is not a very stable company at the moment. So the fact that they just absorbed a major game publisher and developer while the while they themselves are going through a massive transition period, uh, it raises a lot of red flags for me uh, as to the future of Vicarious Visions. Because, I mean, it's like trying to... It's like trying to adopt a kid while you're in the middle of divorcing from your previous marriage and in the right. middle of trying to plan your wedding to your next partner, like trying to adopt a new kid, like in that uh, environment. That's what it feels like to me. So I really hope that Vicarious Visions is able to kind of come through the other side. I hope that they don't just get absorbed into the blob of Microsoft slash Activision Blizzard and they wind up just getting piecemeal moved around to wherever Microsoft feels they need to go. I just hope that they don't wind up getting absorbed into like Call of Duty Warzone stability teams or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's this this one bums me out, man. Um, you know, and they they spearheaded some fairly big projects. Vicarious Visions was the team behind Diablo 2 Resurrected, um, behind the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 HD remakes. Yeah. Um, you know, they uh they handled the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy, which kind yep. of I mean, everybody can point to Toys for Bob and their work with Crash 4. That's awesome, but I mean, the Insane Trilogy, Vicarious Visions' work on the Insane Trilogy is what brought Crash back into the modern age. I mean, it, it is. Um, that's what kind of was the litmus test for Crash Bandicoot's viability in the modern age. So, I mean, I think they deserve some credit for that, and I think it's a bummer that they're um, that they're reduced to this. And it makes me worried for a company like Toys for Bob. I, I wonder if they're going to be the next ones to be absorbed. I don't know. Uh, I mean, just just this year so far alone, we have seen some absolutely massive moves, historically yep. massive acquisitions, you know, very notably the act acquisition. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like it, it just feels like there is a rush to gobble up as much as possible without regard for what you're even going to do with those studios once you have them. 
That's what it feels like. It feels like these studios, like we, we just need to buy up. We need to, we need to make as many big studios first party as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, what's our plan for them? We don't know, but we just need them. It's like a collector who has no room left for anything else. It's like, you still want stuff. You still want to collect stuff, but you have no plan, no idea what you're going to do with it. Yeah. And I, and I mean, you have to imagine that, you know, Activision has owned, you know, the, these developers for a while now, you have to imagine that this was part of the Xbox deal. The acquisition, assumedly, uh, means that Vicarious Visions was an Xbox team as well. So, I mean, maybe this is Xbox's way of cleaning house. Maybe this is Xbox's way of like kind of merging everything and making it cleaner on their end. I don't know. We'll probably never know that. But the, you know, the, the reality is, is I think it's really sad to take a team you know, like I said, with 30 plus years of history and just saying, you know what, you guys, you, you make Blizzard games now. Enjoy that. Could you imagine, could you imagine from Vicarious Visions, Diablo 4? Yeah, yeah. Diablo 4, I mean, they may have a, a large role in Diablo 4. They were actually uh, fairly prolific in uh, in Destiny 2 when, when uh, Activision was still involved with Destiny 2. Uh, Vicarious Visions were spearheading a lot of the massive raids being added to that game. Some of the best content in Destiny 2, from what I understand, was made by Vicarious Visions. So uh, there's a lot of talent to that studio. They employ over 200 people. Um, so again, I hope this is a better situation for them. Yeah. Um, I wish all the best to everybody working there, but, um, as a fan, this makes me sad. It makes me sad. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we have nothing to worry about. And Vicarious Visions is only going to get better with the seemingly unlimited resources of Activision Blizzard and ultimately Microsoft behind them. Maybe this ultimately just means that they can even better fulfill their vision for their games in the future. I hope that's the case. But Seth, I am astounded. <laughs> Absolutely flabbersmagasted that you have been able to contain yourself up to this point. But go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think flabbersmagasted is actually a character name in this game. So that's <laughs> that's appropriate. <laughs> Uh, yes, folks, uh, man, I can't believe it. I've been begging for this. I feel like since the advent of this show, literally actually begging, (laughs) I I, like every time an indie world showcase comes around, by the way, you'll never convince me that there wasn't going to be an indie world showcase this month. All the news that we have had this month alone, there's never been a more congested period of major independent game news. Um, without an indie world, you'll never convince me that there wasn't going to be one. Anyway, um, they announced this week that Bug Snacks, which has up until now been a PlayStation exclusive, PlayStation and Epic Game Store exclusive, is coming to everything now with the new Isle of Big Snacks DLC included. And one of the platforms is the Nintendo Switch. Finally, on April 28th, kind of bug and kind of snack. We'll finally have it, and I am thrilled. I love this game. I am so excited that I can finally talk about this game on my Nintendo podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I definitely kind of came out of nowhere. We have had just just in the first couple weeks of April. It feels like there's been more fairly big indie centric announcements than we've gotten 
in the rest of the year so far. So it does really smell like there was a, an aborted presentation of some kind. Maybe yeah. not necessarily from Nintendo, but there's been a lot of fairly interesting announcements that have come out over the past month that that feel like they would have been right at home in something like a partner showcase, an indie world showcase. So yeah, you know, yeah, I kind of believe you, Seth. Bug snacks. Uh, nobody saves the world. Um, you know, don't starve together. Stanley parable. Like these are all games that would have, that all of them are the announcements of the scale that would have felt appropriate as a one more thing. Literally, those are all massive, uh, indie game announcements. So anyway, I won't, I won't be up on that soapbox for too long. I just want to tell you guys about Bug Snacks because Bug Snacks is like, do not sleep on this game. Uh, it's got all the hype behind it for a reason. I'm going to double dip on it. I'm buying it digitally so I can play it day one. I'm going to buy it again when the fan gamer physical is, uh, is available because that's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah. Cause they announced the fan gamer fairly soon after they announced that it was coming to everything. And that, that was kind of our first reaction is like, is it getting a physical? Is somebody doing a physical? And sure enough, fan gamer was like, I got you, bro. I got you. Yeah, Fangamer has kind of been the the hub for all things bug snacks since the release. I've got my Bunger plush sitting right next to me, actually. Um, and I, uh, you know, we've my wife and I have bug snack shirts. We have the physical bug snacks for PlayStation 4 via Fangamer. So again, we're gonna buy it again um for Switch. I mean, I love this game. It's just this what Bug Snacks is, it's basically the closest thing we have to a Pokemon Snap like. Um, the game isn't Pokemon Snap. It's not about photography, but the vibes are like Pokemon Snap. It's all about researching and capturing these food bug hybrids. So like Bunger here is a hamburger spider. So like he looks like a spider. He's got eight legs like a spider, but the legs are curly fries and he's a cheeseburger and he walks around like Bunger, 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 Bunger. It's awesome. So <laughs> do it again. Bunger, bunger, bunger. That's they, they say their name like Pokemon, you know. Um, there's one called Honeybee that flies around. It's like Honeybee. It's the it's the best. Um, there's one. My favorite one actually is this um, this ice cream popsicle. It's like the you know the the ice cream with two stick the two stick popsicles. It's called Bopsicle, and it charges at you and it's like Bopsicle, Bopsicle, and it like rams into you. Oh, it's so good. Um, anyway. Bug Snacks is all about researching these bug snacks on Snacktooth Island. And you do this very similarly to like how in Pokemon Snap, you'd be like, oh, I have to, you know, throw the pester ball at the Charmeleon and it'll come out as Charizard or whatever. Um, I, or I have to lure the Pikachu out with an apple. The version of that in Bug Snacks is, oh, I know that Bunger really likes ketchup. So I'm going to throw this ketchup at this other bug snacks, make Bunger charge into it, and that'll stun the bug snacks long enough for me to catch it. And now I have research data for it. So it's like that. It's got those Pokemon Snap vibes, and it's not on rails. It's open environments. You can explore them at your leisure. Um, colorful, goofy, silly characters. But then underneath it all, just like with their other game, Octodad, like, it, it has got this actually heartfelt and just weird story underneath everything with characters that are not, there's inclusive character relationships. Um, there are themes that you wouldn't expect to find in a game like this. It, it's, 
It's way more than the sum of its parts. I really, really love Bug Snacks, and I can't wait to play it on Switch. You be prepared for much more gushing about Bug Snacks. Much more talking about Bug Snacks out of me on this show. I, uh, I don't really think he's that excited for it, folks. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. So I, I actually I still see remember, it there on I the still Switch. Re- I still remember when I sent you the message. I was like, hey, Bug Snacks is coming to Switch. And your response was just W H A. T like like the what meme just like huh I was getting ready for work in the morning I was putting my my work uniform on and <laughs> and I get that message where I was like what you know just just randomly on like a Monday or Tuesday morning or whatever it was I I was beside myself I I still can't believe it's real I look on the Nintendo Switch eShop and I see the bug snacks listing there and I I can't believe it I'm oh I'm so happy this was one of my like this was on my bucket list you know please bring it to Switch games and like it's you know it's finally coming on April 28th I couldn't be more excited <laughs> Yeah we'll definitely uh definitely expect more coverage of bug snacks in the coming oh, weeks ladies yeah. and gentlemen but we got a couple things to look forward to in the near future. Bug Snacks, Kingdom Hearts, and hopefully whatever Vicarious Visions does in the future. But we got another game on our Nintendo Switch N64 app just yes, Well, technically it was Thursday night because Nintendo loves to drop. Do it early. <laughs> yeah, they, they love to just drop stuff early now. It's like, oh, it's coming on the 15th. Drops the evening of the 14th now. Yep. I'm here for it, though. I mean, if you want to release stuff early, I'm here for it. But Mario Golf, the N64 classic Mario Golf, did indeed drop on the N64 app this past Thursday evening. And yeah, yet another N64 game for our playing pleasure on the the Nintendo Switch uh, Online expansion pack. Still really weird that it wasn't Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, but... Well, I mean, where do we think that Mario Golf kind of falls in the hierarchy of Mario sports games? It's a really good one. It is. It is really good. It's pretty high for me. I mean, in the Mario Golf series, I would say it's probably second only to like Toadstool my favorite Tour? one's Toadstool Tour. Yeah. yeah. Um, GBA is actually really good too. But but Mario I never Golf played the GBA. The, it's it's really good, and it's actually <laughs> it's it's funny that one actually is made in the Golden Sun engine. Um, so oh, I remember look- that. Yeah, Camelot. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all Camelot, <laughs> but if you look at Mario Golf GBA screenshots, it's literally the GBA engine, uh, the, the Golden Sun engine. But yeah, but Mario Golf N64, really good game. Um, it's probably second only to Toadstool Tour for me in the, in the Mario Golf series. I, I really like this game. I actually haven't had time to touch it yet. I, I mean, they've been able to make several of the NSO games online. Uh, yes. Have we been able to confirm whether or not there's online functionality with Mario Golf? Yes, there is online functionality with it. Um, so that might be something. I mean, we, we, you know, we always try to rustle up community game nights whenever we can get away with it. So maybe the community might want to, you know, hit the, hit the green and, you know, play a little Mario golf N 64 one of these nights. I'm down. I, I, I would, I just love the thought of taking these old retro games and making them online. There's just something really cool about taking these iconic 
classic games from 20, 25, 30 years ago and giving them online functionality to be, it really, really breathes new life into a lot of these old games to be able to enjoy them with people from all over the world. If they put the original Killer Instinct, the original Super uh, Super Nintendo Killer Instinct on the NSO app and gave that online functionality, oh, like you'd never get me off of that. I would absolutely play that. Like the the podcast would be in danger. <laughs> I have to force you. I have to twist your arm every week. <laughs> so, Eric, what you been up to? Really, Seth? Really? Do need you even ask? <laughs> exactly. We got to record the show. Must play as TJ Combo. No, but I I love the fact that Nintendo is doing this. The fact that they're not just re-releasing these old games, but with updated, added online functionality. It is so, so cool. Thank you, Nintendo. I know a lot of people are still a little jaded about the price tag of the expansion pack. But, I mean, we're getting new games added to those Nintendo, Super Nintendo, N64 apps on a practically weekly basis now. So, it's a real steady clip. Yeah. Starting to feel much, much more worth it, I think, um, as games are being added, you know. I mean, next week we'll probably get some more Genesis games. Who even knows at this point? I just, I really hope there's so, so many classic Nintendo 64 games. I just really hope we're not going to have to wait a long time after all the ones they've announced have been dropped. I know we've got Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, and I think one or two others after that. I, I really hope come June, come E3 timeframe, that Nintendo has another big swath of games to announce for these uh, for these apps. But speaking of Mario Golf, speaking of recent releases on the Nintendo Switch, here at the end of the news, we will just shout out a couple of the biggest releases from this past week. One that's going under a lot of people's radars, but it really shouldn't be because it has been getting reviewed really well, is 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Yeah, this is a Vanillaware game. Um, so Vanillaware, you know, uh, Grim Grimoire, which they actually announced a Grim Grimoire uh, remaster, Japan only. Maybe that'll mm-hmm. come to the States at some point. But anyway, um, you know, Vanillaware, pretty storied history. Um, Demon's Crown, uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade. Um, you know, this is a game from them. And this was on a lot of people's shortlist for game of the year when it initially came out on PlayStation 4. I mean, people love this game. It has got massive uh, critical acclaim. So, and now it's finally on Switch. It sounds like it's a great version. Um, I really, really want to play it. Like, I I am very close to just pulling the trigger and picking up the physical copy. Um, I don't know when I'll get around to it, but I, I really do want to play this one. I've heard nothing but amazing things. Yeah, I've, you know, been looking around. I just keep seeing, I haven't even been actively looking for them, but I just keep seeing people talking about it. I keep seeing a lot of people whose opinions I really respect say that it is a very good port. So if you're into stuff like that, that might definitely be a game that you have to have on your radar. But in addition to that, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, Neon Turf, Demon Turf, Neon Splash. I made the same mistake when I did the video. I called it Neon Turf as well. Don't feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) Splash Turf Demon Neon came out this past Thursday. Uh, Definitely go check out Seth's video up on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash allinpodcast. Again, I might have to check it out. I've got the full, I I say the full game. I've got the core game, I guess, the original Demon Turf. 
on pre-order from Limited Run Games. Very much plan on diving headfirst into that when that shows up in my mailbox. In addition to that, we've got Got a Protector's Cart of Darkness. <laughs> so this is a weird one. I had never even no heard kidding. of this game. Yeah. I'd never even heard of this game, but people are raving about it online. Like people are just giving it amazing reviews. I think um, it's getting nines and stuff everywhere. And um, our friend Andre Seegers from Game Explain like loves it. Um, uh, friend Jordan Starkweather, who was on the last episode of Keep Nintendo Weird, is just like gushing about it on Twitter. I'm like, what the heck is this game? It is a kind of like imagine if you had something like a Dynasty Warriors meets tower defense kind of situation, but just the super fast, frenetic, over-the-top, slaying just like legions of enemies, kind of a goofy, um, not quite 8-bit, like somewhere between 8 and 16-bit, you know, art style, and um, just like goofy, over-the-top multiplayer focus. It actually has local and online multiplayer, and it looks really fun. Uh, I definitely want to check this one out. I hate to admit this, I actually don't know too much about this. I'll have to check it out myself. But a game that uh, you and I have been getting very familiar with over the past couple days, one of the games we've been getting very familiar with over the past couple days, Rotund Rebound from that trilogy that we were speaking of yes. earlier. It's really good. It's it's really good. I like it a lot. That that one just came out. Run to, uh, Rotund Zero came out um, or will come out next week. So um, hopefully we'll have more to say about that on the show uh, later on because I, I really like it. And uh, and I hope you guys give it a look. And, and I think you'll like it, too, if you like games like that. He is. He is an adorably rotund little bunny rabbit, isn't he? Yes. Chubbit is his name. Yes. He, so. he's, he certainly doesn't look like he's in danger of starving. No, no, he is very rotund. And the, and Rotund Rebound actually has a lot of like different gameplay styles. There's a little like Mario Kart clone in there. There's a little uh you know, multiple playable characters. There there's a lot of game there. And um I I really like it a lot. But speaking of starving, mm-hmm. yet another game from this past week, Don't Starve Together. The follow-up to obviously Don't Starve, one of the most interesting I think survival games we've ever played. Definitely. Yeah. Don't, don't starve is a kind of a, a legendary survival game is one of the first, I think real popular survival games and don't starve together is basically the one with the co-op. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, it's playing the, the don't starve gameplay, but with a, with a partner. So uh, really cool. I, I think there are definitely going to be some people in the community who latch onto this one. I don't know. For me, there's one game that's come out in this past week. I absolutely cannot wait to try. It's got an incredibly interesting gameplay hook. It's called 2D and Top D. It does look really cool, doesn't it? So the entire gameplay hook of this is you play as two separate characters, 2D, spelled T-O-O-D-E-E, and Top D, spelled T-O-P-D-E-E. And 2D exists within a two-dimensional plane where you perform 2D action platforming. However, at any point during the game, you can switch perspective and that 2D plane will then become the floor upon which the 3D area that top D can then uh, explore. So 
just a quick little thing that you can just quick little way to show off what you do in the game is say you jump off of a, a ledge. Say you jump off of a platform as 2d and you realize that the next platform isn't close enough. You realize you're not going to be able to make the jump in mid jump. You can actually switch perspective to 3d. You can have top D run around on top of the once 2D plane and move the platform. He can pick up the platform and actually move it closer while 2D is in mid-jump. And then you can switch perspective back to 2D and lo and behold, you've made the jump. And that's just the most basic, the absolutely most basic function of that gameplay. The tr just check out the trailer. They do some insane things with this game. I cannot wait to check it out this weekend. It looks really cool. I want to check it out too. I mean, really unique. I mean, we love unique gameplay concepts like oh, yeah. that. I mean, we, we've never seen anything that does it quite this way. So uh, really, really excited to, to check that out and uh, tell you guys more about it when we get a chance to play it. There's so, man, the amount of indie games, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It's basically like if you took the idea from Super Paper Mario, the 2D to 3D aspect of Super Paper Mario, and turned it into more of a puzzle platformer. That's kind of the best way I can describe it right now, but yeah. I, I cannot wait to check it out. But here at the end, we absolutely want to shout out the latest release from Drink Box Games. Nobody Saves the World finally making its triumphant appearance on the Nintendo Switch. Yes, yes. I'm so excited about this. Drinkbox, one of my very favorite independent developers. They've never made a bad game. Um, we're going to be talking about them much more in a second. Um, but Nobody Saves the World is a game that I've intentionally avoided learning about. I, I know practically nothing about it because I knew it was going to come to Switch. And I'm just going to dive in blind. Like, I'm just going to come in totally blind and, and be blown away. Yeah, obviously we're big fans of Drinkbox, so this is a game that, even sight unseen, even with us not knowing too, too much about it, we feel pretty confident in saying this one should be on your radar. But, is it going to be a game you're going to check out? What about all the other releases? Are you excited for Bugsnacks coming to the Nintendo Switch in a couple yes. weeks? Are you excited for Kingdom Hearts 4 coming? Let us know. Let us know about all of your thoughts about the goings-on in the world of the big And Reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast reach out to us on twitter at all in podcast come on join the conversation over on discord also make sure to check out youtube.com slash all in podcast and seth's brand new neon dream turf demon video that he posted up just a couple <laughs> days ago also make sure to check out twitch.tv slash all in podcast of course come this thursday announcement of the announcement make sure to check out twitch.tv slash all in podcast this coming Thursday. In addition to that, make sure to follow All In and Nintendo Podcast, the podcast over the on podcast, the podcast over on Anchor, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere that you get your podcast. If we are not where you get your podcasts from, let us know and we will remedy that. I promise you. Yes, absolutely. And if you think we're doing a halfway decent job over here at All In and Nintendo Podcast, 
Guys, you know what you can do. You can drop those words on iTunes, on Podchaser, and on Audible. You can leave written reviews, and on Spotify, you can leave us a beautiful five-star rating. We really appreciate it. If you leave a written review, we will, of course, shout you out and read your review at the very beginning of the show. And uh, it just it means the world to us. It is the best way you can support this show. Word of mouth is the only way we have to grow. And, um, and we really, really appreciate your five-star reviews. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, again, thank you. Thank you for making us part of your weekly rotation, hanging out with us each and every Saturday. Namaste. Namaste, indeed, Eric. But, you know, talking about Nobody Saves the World finally coming out this week, I I mentioned before, I I love Drinkbox. They've never made a bad game, in my opinion. So we thought this week we'd actually take a look back 10 years into their past at one of their very first titles. Our indie showcase this week is Tales from Space, Mutant Blobs, Attack! Ah yes, Drinkbox Studios. Really excited for Nobody Saves the World finally coming to the Nintendo Switch this past Thursday. But Drinkbox has had a really storied catalog over the past decade, especially... Obviously, we've already featured Guacamelee in an indie showcase of the studio behind Severed. And 10 years ago, they released their follow-up to Tales from Space about a blob as, I think, a launch title for the PlayStation Vita. Back in 2012, they released Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack. And I have no clue why in the world we could possibly be thinking about adorable little blobs that gobble up everything in their path this month. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Major anniversaries featuring 2D platformers where adorable little blobs gobble up everything in their path. No clue why we could possibly be thinking about that this no, month. No clue. <laughs> no clue. But to get into to get into this game, this game actually reminds me of a couple of twisted pixel titles, honestly. It reminds me a little bit of Misplosion Man, frankly. I genuinely think the person that did the score for, for Misplosion Man did the score for this game. But it also reminds me of another one of their games, The Maw. Yeah, I could see that. Because one of the really cool things about this game is you start as this, again, fairly adorable, albeit bespiked little blob character who starts off literally the size of a screw, literally the size of a coin. And by the end of the game, let's just say you're significantly larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game carries a really cool sense of scale. I mean, this is a 2D like puzzle platformer, but it definitely carries that sort of like gobble up everything, become big, access new areas and um it takes that to the nth degree like katamari level uh <laughs> nth degree with that concept yeah, yeah katamari is not a bad comparison either but it does this because of you know the whole blob aspect they really lean into the whole blob thing and they set the entire game against this 1950s b horror movie backdrop yeah where this game almost kind of winds up being like the the PG version of Carrion from Devolver Digital. Yes, but, very much so. <laughs> but the uh, the game, the, the whole 50s backdrop of reminds me of a, yet another game. I know we've already compared it to half a dozen other games, but it reminds me a little bit of Destroy All Humans 
in sure. that regard in terms of the 50s backdrop. So I think I think this game sits pretty comfortably in the middle of the Venn diagram of Misplosion Man, the Maw, and Destroy All Humans, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair comparison. I mean, the vibes are definitely there. I mean, this game has got... Yeah that totally cheesy, like you said, 1950s B-movie. You know, the, the game's got a few cutscenes that really play into that, although it's not a story-heavy game. I mean, yeah, like, Drinkbox is really good at nailing a very particular vibe with all of their games, just through the use of their art, through things like the music. Um, yeah, they, they've just totally nailed that. It feels like one of those cheesy popcorn 1950s drive-in movie, you know, things. But you start off uh, in the opening cutscene, you start off as this imprisoned little blob within a science lab and you escape into the backpack of a college student. So the first actual level sees you escaping, sees you jumping out of the backpack in this college dorm. And from there you go on a an ever more massive adventure to basically toward total annihilation of everything in your path, which is amazing. But you start off uh, again next to like screws and coins and pieces of lint and trash and your character can absorb basically anything smaller than it that it comes into contact with. That's really the whole shtick of the game is like Seth said, very Katamari-like you can absorb and become larger. You can absorb everything that is smaller than your character and use that to become larger to be able to tackle, to, well, to not only be able to, to absorb bigger things, but to be able to tackle bigger obstacles. So uh, you start off just absorbing a few screws, a few coins, a few little things here or there, and then eventually you get big enough to remove the literal cork in your way and then you can travel on to the next part of the stage. And you basically just do that over and over and over again until you win. Now, that's an incredibly simplified version of the game. There's actually a lot of really interesting stuff going on here. But ultimately, it's a 2D, arguably puzzle, arguably action platformer, where you're just trying to eat as much as you possibly can, get larger so that you can continue to eat bigger and bigger things. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you make your way through these, you know, these stages, these levels, and it kind of has that that sort of design philosophy of like you, you've got you know a, a very simplistic thing from the outset. You've, you you know the blob doesn't do that much. You do end up getting some abilities and things that you that are incorporated into the level design as the game goes on, but then it's basically just you know here are some obstacles in place, things like lasers, you know, things like the actual gravity of the stage as things go on. Um, yeah, there is an actual physics engine. There's a, oh yeah, physics actually plays a pretty massive part of the game. And these are the things that are going to be in your way. It's not going to be the sort of thing where the game's not like rife with enemies or whatever, but it's obstacles through these kind of like platform, these really well-designed platforming levels all in the service of making yourself bigger and getting to the end of the stage and, and progressing. And there's six worlds that you ultimately travel through. There's 24 stages, total 24 core stages throughout the course of the game of ever increasing scale. But to go back to the move set, to go back to those abilities that Seth kind of briefly alluded to, in addition to just jumping and absorbing things, there are a couple 
actual maneuvers, a couple actual powers that you have access to in order to get through these stages. Uh, the first one that you're going to get access to is basically like a blob drop, a butt pound, a slam yeah. attack for all intents and purposes. And you won't need to attack things necessarily too often throughout the course of the game, but there are a couple things that you will need to break and that's how you'll do it. You'll use this little uh, slam attack, which you can actually angle to the left or to the right. Something that, especially in later levels, you will need to uh, not quite master, but you will at least need to have a loose grip on. Uh, but in addition to the slam attack, there are several really cool kind of design quirks that they throw into the levels to, to make things really interesting. One of the things they do is apparently your blob can magnetize itself. Of course it can. Of course, of course it, it can. can. Of course it can. So there's a lot of metal implements in the stages that you can magnetize or repel yourself from in a magnetic way. And that plays into a lot of the obstacles and a lot of the platforming for much of the game once you learn how to do that. So you'll... Like you'll be magnetizing yourself to a pipe at the top of the screen to essentially crawl along the top of the screen or you'll repel yourself from spikes or from obstacles or something. There's even some really difficult, there's a couple sections of the game that kind of frustrated me. You can actually repel yourself uh, from some circular saws that you'll run across. Those are Those take a little bit of getting used to. But yeah, the magnetism plays plays a lot into the gameplay throughout most of the game. But in addition to that, you have, I mean, you're, you're a magnetized organic blob. You might as well also have telekinesis. Yeah. Again, of course, of course. I mean, why not? It makes perfect sense. And you know, it, it's funny because we were talking about this and the, the comparison, the, I think apt comparison, we've, we've compared this game to a lot of other games, a lot of games that have come out after this game. Um, you know, th that that was made with the sort of implement of the telekinetic powers is uh, Rayman Legends. If you remember in yeah. Rayman Legends, how you could sort of move platforms in that way. Yeah, one of the first things, as a matter of fact, the first screen you'll see when you boot up this game is it is recommended you play in handheld mode. At least if you're playing on the Nintendo Switch, if you're playing on, you know, something else, you, you won't see that. But if you're playing on the Nintendo Switch, the very first thing you're going to see is it is recommended you play in handheld mode. And even though you absolutely don't need to, the big kind of reason they do recommend it is because when it comes to the telekinesis, when it comes to moving these stage implements, it does make it much easier if you do want to go that route. Very much like Rayman Legends, you have these... Uh, you have these obstacles, you have these platforms that move along a very obvious track and you can drag those platforms along the track whenever you want. If you're using handheld mode, you can just touch and drag as much as you want. If you're using, uh, if you're playing in docked mode, then you can just toggle between the different implements using the L and R buttons and then you can just use the right stick to move it left, right, or in a circle as you see fit because they're Again, very similar to the magnetism, you will be telekineticing stuff a lot. The telekineticing, telekinesising sure, a lot of stuff sure. throughout the course of this game as well. So do get used to that. Uh, but even on top of that, there's another really cool uh, ability that you have access to. Some type of flatulence. Uh, <laughs> 
ignition, some type of flatulence combustion engine within that yeah. allows you to fly. Some sort of chemical reaction, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to being, so in addition to being magnetized, in addition to having telekinesis, you can, when the game allows for it, you can somehow expel gas from your blobus form and use that to jet around the stage. Because after everything else, just why not? Because again, of course you can. (laughs) Because of course you can. This isn't something you'll be able to do all the time, but there are quite a few portions of the game that it will give you the option to basically switch the game from a 2D platformer to... Oh man, what do the controls feel like? You basically just hit the B button to go. And then you just yeah. control the direction you want to start flying. Yeah, it's nothing too complex. I mean, that's kind of the game in general, right? I mean, the game is is really simple, but it's just done really well. I mean, that's kind of Drinkbox's MO. I mean, up until really this game, uh, their their new game, Nobody Saves the World. I mean, it's not they're not here to reinvent the wheel with these games. They're just here to present this idea really well to give you a really just simple, polished, you know, well-designed 2D platformer or Metroidvania or dungeon crawler in the case of the other games of their catalog. And it's just, it's just really good, man. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, it's just a simplistic, well-designed, you know, good, good 50s vibes all around. I mean, you know, Drinkbox batting 1000, man. And they do wind up getting a ton of mileage out of all the different gameplay implements they've thrown into this game. You'll have to use the slam attack a lot. You'll have to use the magnetism a lot. You'll have to use the telekinesis a lot. There's a ton of different jet sections. But in addition to that, I've said there were 24 core stages in the game. There are actually several special bonus stages throughout these worlds that play very differently from even the 2D action puzzle platformer of the main game. And this is another reason we were kind of thinking about this game this month anyway, is because honestly, the best way to describe these stages, it's literally the Kirby Tilt and Tumble stages from Forgotten Land. Yeah, yeah, literally. I mean, they function identically. And I I, I mean identically to those stages because they both require the gyro controls and you have this small little ball that you gyro control around a top-down environment trying to avoid obstacles and pits. I mean, they are identical in form and function to the Kirby Tilt and Tumble minigame from Forgotten Land. Here's another piece of connective tissue to Forgotten Land. This has this game has its own version of Hidden Waddledees in the stages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong because it's a video game and they have to implement video gamey things. Every stage in the game, including the special stages, has hidden blob friends that you can find and liberate. And I don't, I don't really want to go into the biological. <laughs> or even psychological aspects of literally absorbing others of your own kind into your own full being. Right. <laughs> but but that's what happens. I will say it's a nice little detail, it's a nice little touch. Each of the blobs, each of the blob friends throughout the game is a different actual blob. It's not just some generic green blob that you keep saving dozens of times over. Each blob that you save in the game is a different design. 
I do think that was a cool little touch. They didn't necessarily have to implement. Yeah, no, just just a neat little a neat little touch because I think it does kind of play into the the previous game about a blob, which this is kind of a a, a sequel to. Um, and this, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to that, like like the blobs from that game kind of being exper- experimented on and made into mutants yep. in this game, you know. But in addition to the the video gamey thing of uh, collecting the collectibles of collecting your little blob friends. There is also, you can get up to a gold medal on every stage, depending on your score. There's a lot of little blue score orbs that you can find that the only purpose in there is basically just to, to, to serve your high score, to try to get you to those gold medals. Everything that you absorb, everything that you eat gets you points, saving those little blob friends get you points and then collecting those blue score orbs gets you points. Those are the three, I think the only real three ways that you can even score points in the game. So if mm-hmm. you're looking to get gold medals on every one of those stages, you'll need to make sure to eat everything that you possibly can, whether it's those blue orbs, whether it's stuff lying around the stage to get yourself bigger or whether it's your blob friends, you need to absorb as much as possible. If you're trying to get all of those gold medals. And I will say, if you do try to complete this game, if you're just running through on a normal playthrough, it'll probably take you two hours, maybe three. This isn't necessarily a super large game, but if you wanted to go back through and 100% the game, you're probably looking at maybe an ec- maybe an extra two hours. A lot of these stages can probably be completed the first go around for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at, you know, maybe a four to five hour game here. Um, but again, it's it's just really good, high quality uh, game design. You know, it's it's the perfect game to play when you have like a free day on the weekend. You know what I mean? Like if you're hanging out here on, on a Saturday, Sunday, you got nothing else to do and you just want to spend an afternoon playing through this game. It's it's totally perfect for that. Um, just a really nice snack of a game. And um, one thing that's really cool is that kind of in celebrating the release of Nobody Saves the World, Drinkbox's entire catalog on the Switch eShop is on a deep discount right now. So you can get this game for $2.47 for the next several days um, at the time of this uh, this episode going live. And same thing with both Guacamelee games and Severed. All of them are between 70 and 75% off. So, I mean, you can, I mean, you're stealing this game at that price. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not going to be this big transformative uh, emotional journey that you're going to go on. This is not Gris we're talking no. about. This is yeah, the, this is not something that you play for its existential uh, qualities. It's not something you play to refine yourself. This is just a fun little ten dollar size game that you can play and beat and probably even 100% in a day. But it's got a lot of personality to it. The level design there is really cool. It's really fun. The different stage implements, the different gameplay implements that they have in this game are constantly changing things up. It keeps the pace of the game really fast and really strong throughout. I love the funny little cutscenes that serve as epilogues for every chapter. But Mm -hmm. I just... But I just want to go back to the literally biggest thing, the literally biggest thing about this game 
that really, really sets it apart for me, really makes it a special little title, is again, just that sense of scale. I, I don't want to spoil where the game goes, but right. suffice it to say, in a game where you start off literally small enough to fit into a side pocket of somebody's backpack, the end of the game is really fun. It's really cathartic and it's it's just it's over the top fun in all of the best, most campy ways. Yeah. It it goes to the place you want it to go. It's very, very satisfying. <laughs> it is. And again, I don't want to give away too much more than that, but just seeing, I mean, just playing through the game itself is fun enough going through the level stages and finding stuff to eat and absorb. Uh, and especially once the military gets involved and <laughs> in getting to attack and be attacked by helicopters and tanks and soldiers. It feels very Rampage-esque for a few levels there. But just seeing the sense of scale that you get, not even from stage to stage, but within the stages. Because one of the things that makes the level design so interesting and so unique is the fact that some things that may seem like impassable obstacles at the beginning of a stage, you have eaten so much by the time you get back to those, by the time you circle back to those obstacles, you're literally big enough you can eat that obstacle. You yes. don't even have to jump over it. You don't even need to navigate around it. That's one of the coolest things is being blocked by something and then circling back around and not even having to jump over it, just literally going right through it and absorbing it and eating it in the same level. It's so cool some of the things that you get to do in this game. It is absolutely worth even it's absolutely worth even the normal $10 price tag. It is an absolute steal at $2.50. You should definitely if you if you like 2D platformers whatsoever, I mean despite the fact that this is a 10-year-old indie game, it's still just an absolute blast of an afternoon. So let us know. Tell us, have you played Tales from Space about a blob or mutant blobs attack? Have you played any of Drinkbox's category? What is your favorite game from Drinkbox? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Join the conversation over on Discord and let us know. And again, I mean, obviously, Nobody Saves the World just came out. It was the perfect opportunity to talk about this other great indie game we love. But again... There's just so much connective tissue to Kirby for Kirby Month. We just couldn't help ourselves. You've got the little blob that that absorbs everything. You've got uh, it being a 2D platformer. You've got the Kirby tilt and tumble stuff. Yeah, and I, and I mean, like, there's there's definitely enough there to you know to to have that little bit of Kirby flavor. But we couldn't let another week in Kirby Month go by without a dedicated Kirby segment, Eric. And you know. Tomorrow's Easter. We have to be able to do something for Easter, right? Actually, let me rephrase that. Beyond what you've already done is what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's see. It's Kirby month. Easter's tomorrow. What could we possibly be doing, Seth? It's it's just one of those things where we, we put our heads together and like a eureka moment... (laughs) <laughs> we we came up with the perfect top five for this week. We thought, you know, 
we covered Easter eggs in video games and Nintendo games last year on the show for Easter. So what do we do this year for Kirby Month? So what we've decided to do is we're going to count down the best times the Kirby series has appeared as an Easter egg this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five times Kirby as a franchise has appeared as an Easter egg. What are the rules this week? Well, the rules this week are pretty simple. We are talking about all the times that the Kirby series has been referenced in Easter egg form elsewhere in other forms of media. It can be other games. It can even be outside the realm of video games as long as it is a direct reference to the Kirby franchise. Yeah, so we're not we're not talking about literally the this is Kirby appearing as an egg. We're talking about Easter eggs, the concept of Easter eggs in pop culture in video games. I mean, maybe we should start by just talking about briefly what an Easter egg is. Yes, because Smash Brothers is not going to be on this list because Kirby is far more than an Easter egg in mm-hmm. in that regard. Uh Easter eggs basically are just fun little references, fun little out-of-the-way areas, or even collectibles in some cases, but small little optional instances, optional uh, elements in games that you can come across most of the time with a little bit of digging. They're quite often pretty far off the beaten path or very hard to notice. That's the thing that really defines an Easter egg is whether or not you have to go exploring or whether or not you just have to have a keen eye. The Easter eggs in video games and movies and television, the the concept of Easter eggs is that they're just really hard to notice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny too, because I I think for, for some of the stuff that's going to wind up being on our list, I mean, we we could have gone a lot of different routes with this and, and we decided to go um a little less granular i mean like if if you scan a kirby amiibo and it appears in mario maker or yoshi's woolly world or something like that's that's not good enough like having to bring an outside thing into it in order to unlock a kirby related thing in a game is not necessarily going to do it it's got to be a little bit better than that but to start off our list with number five, um, I mean, look, the, the Kirby series is is obviously made by HAL, HAL Labs. And um, I mean, of course, of course, HAL couldn't resist putting Kirby Easter eggs and references in their other franchises. So our number five is kind of a twofer. It is the Kirby Easter eggs in the Box Boy series and in Part-Time UFO, both by HAL. Yeah, I mean, of course companies are going to reference their other games and their other properties within their own games. I mean, the game we just talked about, Mutant Blobs Attack, very, very much in drink box form. There's billboards and posters all over the place directly referencing Mm -hmm. their other games. So, of course, Kirby is going to show up in other HAL uh, properties. The most popular HAL character, the most popular HAL franchise is, of course, going to be making appearances in their other titles. 
Yeah, and I mean, in every game in the Box Boy series, there is some sort of reference or Easter egg to Kirby. Uh, in the first game, there is a stage that directly references Kirby's sprite with um, kind of an image that is formed when QB um, pushes these objects together. Uh, in the other games, they kind of appear in comic form. Kirby directly appears or Kirby copy abilities uh, directly appear or are referenced um, in the other Box Boy games. And then when you get to part-time UFO... Part-Time UFO has got a whole stage that takes place in a toy room that is filled with Kirby plushies. So it's just adorable. It couldn't be higher on the list because, again, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Hal is going to reference their own series. But it, it's just so cool and so well implemented and, and kind of almost heartwarming to be like, aw, like in these other games, Kirby can cameo. And I, I really enjoy that. So we, we had to shout it out. And for our number four, we're actually going with Skullgirls. The indie fighting game has a couple separate costumes that you can unlock that are very clear homages, very clear references to the Kirby franchise. Ironically enough, not Kirby himself, but the character Big Band has a costume, has a color palette that is a, a very clear reference to King DDD. It's so cool. It is, it is I, like, really cool. I've not spent a lot of time with Skullgirls, but this makes me want to spend time with Skullgirls. It's so cool. And then the character Annie has similarly a color palette that is a direct reference to Meta Knight, which is similarly really cool. Uh, just for the creativity on display, just for the fact that you have, I mean, just for the fact that it gives us a reason to talk about Skullgirls for two seconds. <laughs> but I really appreciate them them going with both DDD and Meta Knight. And I also kind of appreciate them not going with Kirby. Yeah, it's kind of nice that they didn't just, you know, go for the low-hanging fruit. Like you get the sense that that that, that team over there, they're actually fans, you know, of of Kirby and wanted to represent the kind of more not undersung, but like the the you know, it would have been low-hanging fruit, would have been too obvious to just have Kirby or Waddle D related skins or color palettes. So cool to have DDD and Meta Knight here. Well, what I get from that personally is that Skullgirls is too mean, it's too nasty, it's too mature of a game for nice characters like Waddle Dee or Kirby. It's okay for the villain or anti-hero characters like DDD and Meta Knight, though. So that's kind of what I personally took from it is they didn't that's want fair. to use Kirby or Waddle Dee because they were too nice of a characters. Kind of like how uh, in Super Smash Brothers. Sakurai said they didn't put Mai into the King of Fighters stage because Smash Brothers is for good little boys and girls. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I can see that. So, but yes, uh, if you haven't played Skullgirls, it's an incredibly polished 2D fighting game uh, with a, a crazy, honestly, kind of like a 50s B-movie style in a different kind Steampunk of way. Steampunk sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But if you haven't checked out Skullgirls Second Encore on the Nintendo Switch, please do. There's a ton of color palette swaps out there, ton of different costumes available for the characters, but we absolutely had to shout out the King DDD and Meta Knight costumes that you could find for Big Band and Annie, respectively. Yes, but going into our number three, this is one that I think has become somewhat famous and... Actually, upon doing research, this is a Kirby reference that Nintendo included in one of their games themselves. Um, now, 
in Link's Awakening, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, there are several uh, Nintendo game references, obviously. I mean, you know, a, a Chain Chomp is a major character in that game, all right? Yeah, I mean, they have literal 2D platforming sections with Goombas and Piranha Plants. Yes, yes. But when it comes to Kirby, you know, and there's and there's arguments that can be made about um, uh, about this happening in, in a bunch of different games, too. But when it comes to Kirby being referenced as an Easter egg in Link's Awakening, this one was interesting for one big reason. Uh, and people who have played the game already know what I'm referring to, and that is the enemy type, the anti-Kirby. Now... <laughs> You can take a look at this enemy type and it's like, okay, like that looks like Kirby or whatever. But what really sets this apart is that it goes a layer deeper than that. And I'm taking this straight out of the official Nintendo Player's Guide for the you know original release of Link's Awakening for the anti-Kirbys. <laughs> I'm quoting this. It says, quote, These must be Kirby's evil twins. Their vacuum-like attack sucks up heroes and everything, but you can fight your way out into fresh air. End quote. So, so this is an actual, officially sanctioned Kirby reference with a random enemy in a Zelda game. Is that the is it the first official appearance of Shadow Kirby? Is that what we're seeing? <laughs> I guess. I guess so. Anti-Kirby's, man. <laughs> That's so great. I mean... You have Dark Link, you have Wario and Waluigi. You know, everybody needs that other side of the coin. You know, that dark reflection type character. And even Kirby isn't immune to that. Dark Kirby, anti-Kirby. And it's so funny too, because I mean, a lot of people might might look at that and, and say like, well guys, aren't you being a little bit hypocritical? That that's You don't really have to dig too far for that. Well, you do have to dig pretty far for the, you know, to look at the player's guide to realize it's an official reference. But also, if you look at the original sprite work, I mean like, yeah, it kind of looks like Kirby, but, and, and you know, it, it definitely has the same like abilities as Kirby and everything, but it wasn't really until the remake that they went just kind of like, just totally hog wild on the Kirby connective tissue. Cause in the, in the Link's Awakening remake, like that's Kirby. Like it's, it's practically the same model as Kirby. It's got the red feet. It's got the pink body. When you look at the original Sprite in the original Link's Awakening, it's kind of like, okay, you know, whatever, but no, you look at the player's guide, you look at the way the characters represented in the remake, and it's so clear that that is a Kirby reference. But going into our number two is a game that I really don't think anybody was expecting Kirby Easter eggs. And I don't think anybody was expecting to find some really interesting Kirby content. And our number two is Donkey Konga. <laughs> how, I, I'm wondering how many people listening to this even know or have played Donkey Konga back on the GameCube. I love Donkey Konga back on the GameCube. Me too. For those who don't know, I know I know it's different. I know it's different. But for those who don't know, as a young boy living in Japan for a few years, I was actually part of a little Taito drum troupe, a little youth Taito drum troupe. So when it comes to stuff like this, I just I, I've always kind of gravitated toward it a little bit more than most people, I think. I just I, I thought Donkey Konga was such a fantastic little gimmick and those peripherals have held up really well over the years. Yeah, I love I love drumming games. I love the Taiko no Tatsujin series. I yep. and by the way, Kirby has actually had an official like 
crossover collaboration with that series, which was cool. Um, but but yeah, Donkey Konga, I mean, with those bongo drums, man. I mean, those are just some of the best Nintendo peripherals. <laughs> they really are. But what in the world does Kirby have to do with Donkey Konga, Seth? What are we talking about here? In Donkey Konga, um, there are a few instances where you can purchase like sound sets and, and ways to basically make the, the bongo drums sound differently when you bang on them. Um, and one of the ones you can get in that game is a Kirby sound set. So it actually changes the sounds of the bongo drums to sound bites from Kirby 64. Um, the left drum, when you hit it, makes the sound of Kirby picking up an item. The right drum makes the sound of Kirby's spark ability from Kirby 64. And then the clap makes the sound of Kirby's inhale, which is <laughs> fantastic. Just so good. Um, and it actually, that sound set will carry forward into Donkey Konga 2 and Donkey Konga 3, which never released here. It's only in Japan. But if you got it in the first game, it carries over into the second and third games. And even in addition to that, they in the first Donkey Konga had an unlockable song that just was the theme song for the Kirby Right Back At You anime. I mean, come on. That's so great. I would have loved Green Greens. They should have absolutely put Green Greens in there. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And, and Donkey Konga 3, which, again, we we never got here, um, they put a track from Kirby's Adventure in there. So, I mean, like, this actually goes deeper than just one game or one implement. It's multiple Kirby references inside a weird, obscure Donkey Kong spinoff series. <laughs> <laughs> so great. But before we get to number one we do have a couple honorable mentions turns out kirby has been a busy boy and there's been quite a few references across other forms of media of the pink puffball and his adventures on planet popstar even between things like kim pine using one of Kirby's stars to exit the level in the scott pilgrim versus the world game you've got we we absolutely had to shout out the fact that in nintendogs and Nintendo mm -hmm. Nintendo Dogs and Cats on the 3DS, you can use the Kirby AR card, not the, the not the amiibo, the Kirby AR card, and you can scan it to give your pet a Kirby hat in that game. I love that. I love that because it it it's like I hope you still have that AR card. I think a lot of people threw those away, but it's like if you just happen to still have an AR card, you can use it in that game. I called the emotes in Kirby and the Forgotten Land weaponized adorable. This is like the nuclear option for adorable to see a Nintendog or cat with a Kirby hat on. That's the nuclear option. That's mutually assured adorable destruction. On top of that, uh, we've talked about a couple indie platformers here today already. Let's go ahead and throw another one into the mix with a hat in time. This is a really, really interesting one because on a TV in the train's caboose in chapter two, act four of a hat in time, you can actually see it's, it's, it's legally not the intro to Kirby's adventure on the NES, but it's the, but it's the intro to Kirby's adventure on the NES, just with a legally not Kirby character. Yeah. I mean, it is, you, you guys, like if you, if you see this in the game, I mean, it, it is a, it's a total parody. Like, it's exactly what it is just with a character that's not Kirby. It's the whole first you draw a circle, then you dot the eyes. Like it, it's all of that, but with a different character. It's so good. Yeah. 
And the last thing that I want to shout out real quick is an Easter egg that was never really meant to be seen by the public, but it's so great regardless. In the hidden debug menu for Earthbound, the cursor is Kirby. Yeah. Yeah, the cursor's a little Kirby sprite. How cool is that? That's so fantastic. That's so great. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I don't even know why that made it, like why or how that made it in, but I'm, you know, but I'm glad it did. Again, it's not the kind of thing that's supposed to be seen. Kirby should be a cursor you know. in everything. If you have a cursor, it should be Kirby. Yes. If you, if you have space sufficient for Kirby, Kirby should occupy it. Exactly. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> that's that's just one of the rules of the universe. Um, it's just a question. Whenever you're whenever you're designing a game, just ask yourself: Could Kirby fit there? Then put Kirby there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I certainly had a few I wanted to shout out to in um you know the GBA classic Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Um, pretty famous Kirby Easter egg um, in the Yoshi Theater. Uh, you've got a poster there for a, I guess, movie called Kirby Story, which is fantastic. You got Kirby there on his warp star, the few stars around him. And it's just a, you know, kind of a throwaway little gag. But I, I love the idea of a Kirby movie being shown at the Yoshi Theater. You know, I love that. <laughs> I want to see that movie. And then another one that I really liked in Pokemon Stadium 2. Um, so in Pokemon Stadium 2, there's this weird little thing they threw in there where you kind of have like a customizable room as the player and you can throw a bunch of different Nintendo consoles in your room and display them on your TV in your room. Um, both of which like you, you can put an NES or a super NES in there. And when you do that, it can cycle through a few different things. But one of the things that can pop up is if you have an NES hooked up to your TV in your room, you can see Kirby fighting wispy woods in, uh, in Kirby's Adventure, which is great. Um, and then if you have the Super Nintendo hooked up, you could see Kirby fighting Dynablade from Superstar, which is also great. I mean, how cool is that? Just, that's an Easter egg through and through. Just totally buried into this weird little functionality in Pokemon Stadium 2. No business being there, but there it is. <laughs> I love it. So great. And then the last one I want to shout out actually goes outside of the realm of video games. How obscure is this for you guys? They did an animated short for Star Fox Zero called Star Fox Zero The Battle Begins. All right. And in this short, again, this this is an animated short that tied into a, you know, a, a Wii U game that met with middling reception. And here we are with a Kirby reference. In this short, Slippy Toad is reading a magazine. And on the magazine cover, it references planet names from Kirby Superstar's uh, Milky Way Wishes subgame. Because, you know, Kirby Superstar's whole thing is it has seven, like, subgames in it. it. It literally has on there the names Floria, Aqualus, Mechai, and Half Moon. So this is a deep cut Kirby reference. In an animated spinoff of a middling game for a kind of failed console. <laughs> I mean, you don't get much more obscure than that. <laughs> Hands up. Who knew that? Hands up. Who yeah, knew? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that during that animated short that they were referencing those planets from Kirby Superstar. Nobody? <laughs> no hands? Nobody. Shy Nobody? Guy City, maybe, but that's it. Maybe. But that was one of the reasons we specifically didn't leave this to just 
uh, Easter eggs in other games, but Easter eggs in other forms of media, and as a matter of fact, are number one. The very definition of an Easter egg, because we had to dig for this one. Although I'm kind of sad we found it. (laughs) Our number one are the animated shorts featuring Kirby from the short-lived animated Mad TV series on Cartoon Network. There, I mean, who even knew that this was a thing? I mean, you know, Mad TV was fairly popular in the 90s going up into the mid-2000s. I think it ran from like 94, 95 until I think 2008 or 9. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it ran for, for many yeah. years. Good and, run. And, you know. Yeah, good run, a kind of popular, kind of more edgy alternative to something like SNL, I guess. Yeah, stop. Um, just, you know, hey, a Seth. sketch hey, comedy Seth. show. Stop. <laughs> stop. stop. There, I mean, there, there, there are a few really iconic, you know, bits from Mad TV for sure. You know, to take nothing away from Mad TV and then Mad Magazine, you know, has an even longer legacy. But Look what sadly... I can do. Look what I can do. (laughs) Um, Sadly, though, the legacy of Mad has been, frankly, besmirched by this really weird animated series they tried to do with Cartoon Network. Just, like, clearly low budget. Um, I think they had some of the folks that worked on Robot Chicken kind of spearhead this project, but it's very clear, uh, very clear when you watch this that it just didn't have money behind it. I mean, the quality of the animation is not there, and just some of the things we sampled. It's not even particularly that funny, but <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. It had to top this list. So. In this animated series, again, this is on Cartoon Network, there's a, a dedicated Kirby one called Kirby's Star Tours, which we we watched, which is Kirby basically like selling Hollywood Walk of Fame stars to people that are actually warp stars, I guess. No, he uses the he uses his his transport stars. He he yeah. rents those out as star tours. So people looking to go meet James Franco or Zac Efron or other, you know, who's popular in Hollywood these days tours. Instead of just taking a bus, you can take one of Kirby's stars. And it's honestly as stupid as it sounds. You you <laughs> you make it sound better than it is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You've got this <laughs> one girl that winds up like face planting right into some some desert and she's like, Oh, Zach Efron doesn't live here. And then you have another uh, young boy who winds up crashing directly into wis- like actually wispy woods and saying, you don't look like James Franco. And then wispy woods like spits apples out at him, <laughs> exactly. you know, which is, which is cute. That's, that's the thing though, is like, these aren't funny, but I kind of have to respect like the, the actual level of referential, you know, kind of reverence here. So, they did another sketch, same series, called Diary of a Wimpy Kid Icarus. Okay. <laughs> St- stupid concept. I mean, 
just a stupid concept. This idea that like, you know, like Pitt comes to this school that's filled with video game characters and he's the unpopular kid because ha 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 this, I mean, this was, I think before Kid Icarus Uprising was even a thing. So ha ha ha, let's yes, poke it, fun of how nobody knows Pitt. Exactly. You know? It's the forgotten Nintendo franchise being made fun of like Donkey Kong's in the skit, Pikachu's in the skit, Mega Man's in the skit, and they're all making fun right. of Pitt because nobody knows what the Kid Icarus franchise is. Yeah, and so and so Pitt actually ends up befriending Kirby because they also postulate that nobody knows who Kirby is either, which is kind of not true, but whatever, <laughs> we'll go with it. Um and then so that that's the thing though. This is a very stupid, you know, and not even super well executed premise, but this skit has got so I mean, Toe Jam and Earl are in there, Parappa the Rapper's in there, like pretty deep cut video game characters for a mad tv you know animated sketch so like if nothing else i i've gotta i've gotta admit that was pretty cool and i even like when they have ganon pop up later as one of the bullies it's actually like pig ganon so i you know i it's not good and it's not even very funny but it's so bizarre and and i had to i you know it, it has to be mentioned we have to live with this knowledge now you do too Yes, and as a matter of fact, links to both of those videos are going to be in the description of this episode because we had to watch it. Now you have to watch it too. Although it is... Yeah, that shouldn't be missed by anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I.e. it should be missed by everybody. But it is kind of nice to know that there was somebody working at this animated, officially officially mad TV show that was a really big Nintendo fan that had Kirby in multiple animated shorts. You see the fact that Kirby showed up as part of some weird animated short, that doesn't necessarily surprise me too much. It's the fact that it was a mad TV show. That's what blows my mind. The same brand that did Stort, the same brand Mm -hmm. that had Phil Lamar, but the same brand that had all of these famously raunchy and mature and kind of adult theme. The fact that they did Kirby stuff in animated form on Cartoon Network, that is so weird to me. I, I hate it and I love it at the same time. <laughs> but after you guys finish watching those videos, let us know what you think. And uh, on that note, we'll be here to help you afterward but let us (laughs) know what you thought of those videos once you finished watching them reach out to us on facebook reach out to us on twitter join the conversation over on discord and let's share the pain together of knowing you know knowing that cursed knowledge now but outside of that there were some really cool some actually legitimately really cool kirby easter eggs in other games and other forms of media let us know what you thought about those as well but you know, it's, it's really cool to see so many other, you know, as, as objectively bad as the Mad TV stuff was, it is really cool to see them and so many other creators and developers have, have just this reverence for the Kirby franchise. Here we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Pink Puffball all April long, and it's just clear how beloved the Kirby franchise is. And again, just how much reverence so many people have for this series. But when it comes to reverence, when it comes to taking a license or an IP and really showing, really doing right by the fans of that license, 
really just really showing that you know the type of people that you're dealing with, really showing that you know this stuff down to its core. Maybe nobody is more referent to licenses and intellectual properties, frankly, than Lego. I mean, absolutely. I mean, from the, you know, the decades of history and their work with licenses to, to the video games. And, you know, this past week, um, you and I have spent a lot of time with Traveler's Tales and Lego's latest in the game that I still can't believe we're actually playing Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. It doesn't feel real, Eric. It doesn't feel real. This this game was actually supposed to come out a couple months after the rise of Skywalker. That's how long we've been waiting on this. This game was actually supposed to come out uh, within proximity to, I believe, the home digital release, the home video, the home DVD Blu-ray release of Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. So, I mean, that just shows you how long that we've been waiting for this game. And... You know, we've been waiting for three years to give you our full review. Show hasn't even been around that long, but we've been waiting for three <laughs> years to give you our full review of Lego's newest and most ambitious game yet. Ladies and gentlemen, here is our full review for Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Ah, well, we've played a lot of Lego games in the 20 years since the release of the original Lego Star Wars. And for a long, long time, Traveler's Tales really kind of settled into this very comfortable formula that they had created with that original Lego Star Wars game. And they applied that formula to... Everything from Marvel and DC to Pirates of the Caribbean and Harry Potter and The Incredibles and so many other franchises. But for this one, this incredibly ambitious game, they have done so, so much. This is unlike any Lego game that we have played yet. And we are incredibly excited to start talking about it. But before we get into it, as always, if you have never listen to one of our reviews here on All In a Nintendo Podcast, there are a couple things that we do like to tell you guys. Yes. So first of all, we do not issue numbered scores here on All In. Sorry, Metacritic, as always. Um, mm-hmm. who, are, who are, as always, shaking in their boots because they can't add All In score to the meta score. But... Um, what we do like to do here is we like to break down the game into its parts. We like to talk about the story, the presentation, the music, and finally, the most important part of any game, the gameplay. And there's a lot of kind of nuance to this, a lot of nuance to video games in general, which is why we don't give out these numbered scores. We like to just tell you our 100% honest thoughts and let you, our lovely, intelligent listeners, determine for yourself, uh, what you think of them. And, um... This game, this game's got a lot to talk about, Eric. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to talk about when it comes to Lego Skywalker Saga. But as always, let's start with the narrative. There's a couple, uh, when it comes to this review, there's going to be a couple things that are going to be a little bit different from the norm. Right. Because for most games that we review here on All In, 
we're not already very familiar with the narrative going into our first time playing a game. We're not already familiar with a lot of aspects of the game before playing them. But for Lego Skywalker Saga, there's a lot about this game that we already know. I mean, we've seen the movies. We know what the narrative is to this game. So the question becomes, how is the narrative handled? And it is really easy to just say, oh, everybody's seen the movies. That's not really the case. There are a lot of people that haven't seen at least a couple of the movies yet. Obviously, Star Wars is one of the most popular intellectual properties of all time, but that doesn't mean that necessarily everybody is already familiar with the narrative. And that being said, I don't think that this is the game that you want to be your first exposure to any parts of the Star Wars movies that you haven't already seen yet. If there are any Star Wars movies that you haven't watched yet, unless you really don't care about the story, which why, why would you even watch the Star Wars movies at that point? Sure. But the way the narrative, the way the story is handled in this game is obviously all of the big points, all the big plot points are hit. All of the iconic moments are referenced, but we have nine movies, nine actual movies and not just like 80 minutes, barely reaching the feature length runtime movies. We're talking big space opera epic length movies worth of narrative and story that we have to get through. And as such, the stories of the individual episodes have been severely truncated. It is actually going to take you probably less time to play through the individual episodes in Lego Skywalker saga than it will be to watch the movies themselves. It'll take you about two hours to play through each of these individual episodes, whereas the movies themselves all run at about two and a half, three hours. So even taking gameplay out of uh, out of the equation, the narrative and the story told in Lego Skywalker Saga has been truncated a lot. So if you don't know what the story is, there will be some things you're like, wait, how did that get there? What? Huh? Why is he talking about that now? Yeah, it's just if you know, if you've already seen them, you already know what's going on. There's no problem. But if you don't know, you might be very a lot of confused. I I would go as far as to say that if you're not a pre-existing Star Wars fan, I don't think this game's for you. Like, I would go as far as to say that I, I would go as far as to say that the mission of this game is not to introduce Star Wars to anybody. It's to. It's it's fan service. It's irreverence. It's let's pass these movies through the Lego lens and let's, you know, poke fun at them. Let's lean into the memes of them all. Let's give you the moments that you want to experience. And let's, you know, I mean, there's there's so many little tiny touches that are just, and this is true of the entire game, but in the in the way that these games um and in these movies are presented, like it's just total tongue-in-cheek, you know, it's 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 playtime. It's, it's just the total playtime, you know, of, of, of the Star Wars saga, of the Skywalker saga. It's not going to be the best way to experience the movies because they're not the movies. It's, it's just the Lego playroom, 
you know, retelling of the movies. And, and I think that for, for me, like that, that's one of my favorite things about it is just like seeing the way they, they tweak, seeing the kind of cuts, seeing the way they do truncate. Like, I don't necessarily need every single solitary thing that happens in a star Wars movie to happen in a Lego star Wars game, you know, because not all of it works, not all of it's going to work and hit the same way. Um, but it sure is fun to see how they kind of flip it on its ear and Lego-ify it. Yeah, because there's a couple very famous things about the movies, like Chewie's quest for a medal yes. or the whole Luke and Leia are sisters thing. There's some really interesting in-jokes about plot holes and about plot inconsistencies that are directly referenced in the Lego games in such an amazing, amazing way. Uh uh, again, it is the iconic story of all nine episodes of the Star Wars films, just told in a vastly condensed and laugh out loud comedic way. Yeah. And and one thing actually that I really like about this game that I think is is totally unique because, I mean, the Lego games have always had that kind of sense of humor to them. You know, they, they've always had that kind of mentality of like, you know, let's let's see how this looks in Lego and isn't that funny and how can we play with this and that. But this game has something really unique where they can actually have like in jokes that run throughout the entire game that I really appreciate. So like, for example, there's a character in the prequel trilogy in this game, this like bearded character that is just a throwaway, dumb, jokey character, but like he pops up in all of <laughs> like in, in each of these games in certain cutscenes, And it's always funny. There's a little gag that they do with Palpatine's lightning that they bring up over and over again. And I, I really like that. It's, it's kind of like the unique benefit of, having this entire saga in one package is being able to not only make reverent, you know, references to the source material, but be to be able to self-reference within the game as well, I think is really effective. And one of my favorite things about the game, I guess we can talk about it here. I guess it fits best into the narrative. One of the best things about the game is it just kind of lends itself to you know, playing an episode at a time. Yeah. Jumping on the game, playing through one of the episodes, and then maybe getting off for a little while. But there is a massive problem with that when it comes to the narrative specifically. And Seth, I think you already know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's because at the beginning of every episode, you have that iconic Star Wars text crawl. And they were all taken directly from the movies themselves. However, there are several missions that break up the individual episodes. And if you were to say, exit the game and then come back, there's about half a dozen new text crawls that play in the middle of episodes, depending on where you left. And legitimately, these mid-episode text crawls that get you back to where you were, that lets you know where you're at specifically in the story, are legit some of the funniest things I've ever seen in a video game. They are so wonderfully, amazingly funny and stupid. It, it 
it hurts my soul that a lot of people are going to miss them because each one of them that I saw was comedy gold. This, so (laughs) it's really funny because that particular touch is the perfect encapsulation of my thoughts of this game, basically. And we're going to get into everything, but it's basically just like, this is a very extra detail that they didn't need to do. And it, and, and like, for reasons we'll touch on for the multiple reasons that I did have to stop mid episode. Um, it kind of immediately alleviated any frustrations that I had. The fact that they, the fact that they went there, the fact that there was something like that in the game basically immediately alleviated any momentary frustration I had in having to come back in mid episode. So it's just, it's just one of a million little examples in this game of like, wow, that's just something they didn't have to do. And they did it. It's one of the most extra games I've ever played. (laughs) just one of my favorite moments in the game was in episode four new hope toward the beginning after um after luke is attacked by the sand people and obi-wan shows up to save him if you go back into the game right after that scene like one of the things it says in the text crawl is after seeking out blue milk enthusiast luke skywalker (laughs) whose father's death he had absolutely nothing to do with. (laughs) And I just read that. And I just started dying laughing. That's just one example. Uh, Like when in episode two, toward the beginning, after you uh, chase down the assassin who was trying to take out Senator Padme Amidala, and Jango Fett winds up taking uh, winds up taking out the assassin before they could spill anything. They actually there's a specific moment in the text crawl, a mid episode text crawl for that that says, "And Jango Fett took out assassin Sam Wessel, assassinception." <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's so funny. Everyone is so funny. It's so good, and it's so funny, and it's so good. And Seth, I don't know if I've said this yet. It's so <laughs> funny. And they do a good job, too, of like kind of negating the, the darker moments that they do have to touch on and some of the more violent moments that they do have to touch on. That that was something that as I was playing through these games, I was like, ooh, like how are they gonna how are they gonna show this? And they always find a really funny way to kind of like curb that. You know, if there's a character who, you know, who has something horrific happen to them in the movies. You know, they, they have found a way to Lego-ify them. And I just think that, that is, there's so much charm in the way that this stuff is presented. Even if it's not going to be the ideal way to experience this this narrative for the first time, it's definitely something where if you're familiar with these movies, yes. you're, you're going to love the take. Yes, if, if you're already familiar with the narrative and the story, which again, I know the vast majority of people will be, but if you're already familiar with these stories and these movies and this narrative, then you're it's just going to be another part of an already great time. Mm-hmm. But going into the presentation, Seth, this is maybe the most extra game of all time <laughs> because the, the details... That they put in. Not only is this the best the Lego games have ever looked, in my opinion. Yeah. Which is astounding considering the scale and the scope of this game. But all the extra little touches, even outside of the mid-episode text crawls. I've got to say right here up the front of presentation, 
Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga has one of the greatest title screens of all time. Yeah, it does. On the short list of best title screens in video game history. It is absolutely amazing. But that's just emblematic of everything at large. The idle animations that you have for all the different characters that really show off that character and their personality, even at that time. Different characters will have different idle animations depending on that version of the character, whether or not they've become a fully formed force user or whether or not they've been jaded by uh, you know, their association with the Empire or the First Order. Just all the different idle, just everything, uh, all the wonderful little touches. Like when you make a character dizzy. Yes. In order to show that, a lot of people won't even notice this, but when you make a character dizzy, instead of having like stars or, you know, birds flying around them, it's it's TIE Fighters and X-Wings. They so have a good. little little blue holographic TIE Fighter and X-Wing dogfight swirl it around people's heads to show that they're dizzy. That's a fantastic, that's such a great little touch. I absolutely adore that. And that those little touches, those details are all over this game. This, this is just one of the, I, I mean, in terms of like fan service, in terms of reverence, that this, this game is just, I, I mean, the details here are immaculate. I mean, it, it's immediately apparent the second you boot this game up and you put hands on it, it's immediately apparent why it took so long to make. I mean, just the the amount that is here is staggering. Now, I will say, and I think that this is something that a lot of people are going to be curious about because we're obviously coming at it from the Nintendo perspective. So, I mean, of course, I think a lot of people are coming into this wondering, so, you know, I can get this on my PS5 or, you know, all the latest hardware. The Nintendo Switch, we obviously love it, but it is you know, the most underpowered contemporaneous piece of hardware on the market. It's not the PS5 or the Xbox Series X, right? So um, I think a big question on everybody's minds coming into this is how does the Switch version of the game look and run? And to be honest, like some issues aside, I think it's kind of amazing that they have this massive scale of the, the massive scale of this game pared down for the Nintendo Switch, and it doesn't look noticeably worse. Like, it doesn't look, like, way worse or anything than the other versions. And it runs fairly well on a system that you can take with you and play handheld. I mean, it's kind of incredible. There will admittedly be a couple times where the game will have to stop and load something, and the load times throughout the course of the game aren't as instantaneous as some other LEGO games. Right. But that's not to say the load times are long necessarily there there will be a few times where you see load screens but overall given the amount of content in this game given the scale and scope and the visual fidelity of this game yeah i'm kind of surprised they got it to run this well on the nintendo switch there was admittedly one time where i went back to replay a level and for some reason, it wasn't loading correctly. And the game slowed to honestly like one-tenth speed. It got ridiculously choppy before just crashing altogether. But wow. in the several dozen hours that I've played in this game, that's only happened once. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and you're going to notice things, right? Like, it's not one-to-one parody with other... Con- you're going to see texture pop-ins, you know, in, in busy open environments. You're going to see things like that. But, I mean, by and large, man, like, to, to play the game and, and to see the game in motion, like, they've done a really bang-up job of making this look like the game it's supposed to be on the Nintendo Switch. I think a lot of people were, were really worried about that going in. And I'm just, I'm happy to report that they've, they've done a really spectacular job of making this game work um, and, and look good on the Switch hardware. Now, I will say, and I don't know if this is persistent across all versions of the game. I'm kind of assuming that it is because... Um, the Lego games have always had an issue with like bugs and just kind of jank in some ways. Um, you and I have both encountered bugs in this game. Yeah. Um, I have actually encountered like several bugs that have cost me to be soft locked to the point of having to hard quit and reload the game like five or six times at this point. So like the game does have a certain objective lack of polish um, even though they've done a really good job here, there is still room for improvement. There is. Yeah. It's been a long time since I have been true soft locked in a game, but that did happen to me. It didn't happen to me as many times as it happened to Seth, but I was, I did face a true soft lock in this game once playing through, uh, the, I believe the, the Senate room mm. duel between Yoda and, and Sidious. Right. So yeah, there is that Lego game jank. We've all seen it in other games. I will say uh, Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2 was bad for bugs. It was really bad for stuff like this. And I was there was concern considering how much bigger this game was going to be that that problem was going to get worse. But no, whatever problems they had on Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2 seemed to have been mostly contained to that game because... Yeah, you're going to run into some stuff where it's like, oh, I really should have made that jump. And you're going to run into some stuff where you may pop in uh, to a wall or something out of bounds for a few seconds. There is that Lego game jank in there. Absolutely. But considering how much stuff is in this game, considering how much time I spent in this game, not perfect, but still not as bad as I was expecting. No, no. And and considering how many systems are at play, too, I mean, there, there's so, 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 so much going on in this game. And, um, and, and you know, again, it, it's kind of a little miracle. I mean, people talk about games that are these miraculous Switch ports like The Witcher 3 and Dying Light and stuff like that. Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga, considering the scale of it, should honestly be in that conversation. Like, it, it's amazing that they have this game looking and running as well as it does. Um, so... Don't feel afraid to buy the Nintendo Switch version or anything like that. It, it is in fine form here. Um, I do want to make a point to mention presentation is probably just the best place to do it. The voice acting. Um, I, <laughs> I've got to mention this. Uh, so I think that like 90% of the voice acting is really good in this game. Um, they've done... You know, some of the things that we've gotten used to in a lot of the animated spinoffs. So, like, you don't have Ewan McGregor voicing Obi-Wan. You've got James Arnold Taylor voicing Obi-Wan, you know, who did it in the Clone Wars and all the animated stuff. And, you know, you've got Matt Lanter as Anakin, not Hayden Christensen. It's not usually, with a few notable exceptions, it's not usually yeah. lifted directly from the movies. Um, yeah. Billy D. Billy D. Williams is there, but I think it's honestly yeah. just lines taken directly from the movie. 
I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I think they actually had him come in and re-record. So there are a couple lines from Billy D, is like particularly in Empire Strikes Back, that I that are burned into my memory to the point where I'm almost positive they had him come in and re-record them. Just little lines like when he first comes in, he's like, How you doing, Chewbacca? You know, like stuff like that. Like <laughs> that's burned that's into my memory. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I that's burned into my memory. And, and so, like, when I hear it in the game, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they got Billy D in the booth. So, um, I, so this drives me a little bit crazy to know that they didn't do that with some of the other characters. Now, again, all, like, I'm not trying to disrespect any of these voice actors. I'm sure they're all great. But, like, and, and I love Phil Lamar. I really do love Phil Lamar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, legendary voice actor, Phil Lamar is, is an absolute legend in the industry, but why didn't they just get Ahmed best to voice Jar Jar? I just, I have to say it. I have to say it. I love Phil Lamar, but I don't like his take on Jar Jar. It just, it bugged me the entire time. Oh, um, and then like, in addition to that, like, so I don't expect you necessarily to get Daisy Ridley in the booth to play Ray, but no, the the voice actress that that plays Ray in this game, like I just her take on it is so over the top and just sort of like I don't know, man. It's it's just a little much for me. It, it and and I'm I'm kind of a voiceover nerd. Like I I I pick out a lot of this stuff. I'm a sound guy, you know. I pick out a lot of this stuff, and I, I know that's probably just a me problem, but I just I had to mention it. I think that like 99% of the VO in this game is really really good and well handled, but there's just a couple little things. That really bug me. I will say, <laughs> Sam Witwer. I can just hear. I can just hear like everybody <laughs> listening to this podcast and be like, "You're playing a game with the over-the-top slapstick comedy know. of a Lego title," and Daisy Ridley's voice acting is what you think is over the top. She's just she's too much. Like I just I don't know. But or the, not Daisy Ridley. Yeah, the the not Daisy. I mean, she just I I don't know. I don't like that take on it. It's but that's such a nitpick. I will say. That it's really cool to have, again, they, they brought Matt Lanter back, you know, they they brought um, James Arnold Taylor back. I've always really liked, Sam Witwer does a really great Ian McDermott impression, so I'm so glad they brought him in to do uh, Palpatine Sidious's voice in this game. Like, Yeah, Sam Witwer, for those who don't know, is pretty deeply ingrained with Star Wars at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they've got him doing the voice of Maul in the game and they, and they've got him, you know, of course, and, and they've got him back for, um, for Sidious slash Palpatine. So we say, uh, of course, because he was the voice of Darth Maul in the Clone Wars. Yes. Yeah. And all the animated, um, I mean, he's, you, you could argue that Sam Witwer is more synonymous with Darth Maul than even Ray Park is. But anyway, this is a very Possibly, in the weeds yeah. thing. Um, but, but, you know, and we've both met Sam Witwer. He's wonderful. Um, just, oh, he's awesome. Yeah, legit cool yeah, guy. Yeah, but just, just all of that to say that I think if you're a VO nerd like I am, it's it's here. 99% of it's here, but there were a few little bits that annoyed me. But that, that's all I that's all I got to <laughs> say about that. But ultimately when it comes to the presentation as a whole, I I'm just so excited with and and so impressed by all the touches and all the nuance yeah. and all the details that they have crammed somehow crammed into this game. Even something as small as when you're playing through the story missions, when you're exploring the space around indoor normally, yeah. 
This isn't the case. But when you're just in the story mission, you can actually see the Death Star peeking out from around the corner of, uh, around the side of the uh, planet, coming to get the Forest Moon, coming to get the Rebels. It's just little touches like that throughout the entire court that are so, so cool and just really establish and really show off the reverence that the Lego group and that Traveler's Tales has specifically for this IP uh, in particular of all the IPs that they've worked with, the reverence they have for Star Wars in particular. And speaking of reverence for Star Wars in particular, this is also going to be a fairly interesting conversation about the music. (laughs) In the game. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's Star Wars music, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the, I mean, the Star Wars music, John Williams' score for Star Wars is legendary, right? Exactly, yeah. But, I mean, that's what it is. It's just that soundtrack in this game. <laughs> Trying to sit here and critique John Williams' Star Wars score at this point would just make me feel like the most presumptuous <laughs> right. jerk on the world it, it I, i'm not going to sit here and say you know what i really think he used she should have used a different chord there yeah john williams i'm not gonna man, be that guy john john williams and your london symphony orchestra get i mean i know better than you no i, I will exactly. say when it comes to the music though one thing i will say and and this sort of um this sort of is true just in general with this game but i actually really think that um, John Williams's score for the sequel trilogy movies is kind of underrated. Um, and I like that this, this game did kind of accentuate that stuff. I really love like Ray's theme, um, is one of my favorite pieces of John Williams music. I just, I love that little like do, 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 you know, and they, they play that through, in the sequel trilogy, like, like Ray's theme kind of permeates when you're just exploring Jakku and stuff. And I, I just, it really made me realize just like, man, John Williams did good work on the sequel trilogy and people are so hung up on other things that they don't give it the credit it's due. I feel like, so I, I, you know, shout out to John Williams work on the sequel trilogy. That's what I'll say about the music here. (laughs) But yes, every iconic tune from star Wars is here. The theme duel of the fates. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, it's all here. I, if I was going to say anything whatsoever, I kind of wish they had bumped up the music a little bit more. Like we're talking one of the most legendary scores in the history of entertainment. Turn the volume up on that, man. <laughs> Do not be afraid to let that bump. That's fair. Yeah, that's probably fair. And and you can go into the options and mess with some of that, but I, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, it's it's all of the iconic Star Wars music. It's it's that. It's Star Wars so, music. <laughs> you know. John Williams, we're not worthy. <laughs> yes, we 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 definitely uh sit at the throne, you know, sit, sit at John Williams' feet um for for this score. I mean, it's it's legendary. So, I mean, what more what more can we say? Uh, I'm not going to say anymore because again, just trying to critique <laughs> John Williams' score. I've, I'm like, what am I even doing with my life? But Going into the most important part of any video game, the gameplay, and even beyond everything that they have crammed into this game, it is so obvious what took them so many years to finish. Because, uh, again, 
they they fell into a really comfortable rhythm with Lego games for so many years. A lot of it was frankly just cut and paste for years. You just took character skins from Star Wars and you put Marvel skins on top of them. But instead of having the force, you had Doctor Strange using magic. And instead of the Emperor using Force Lightning, it was Electro using Lightning. Yeah. And you just cut and pasted that across several different franchises. I mean, they still added little touches with every game. The games, uh, the Lego games at the start didn't really even have a hub world. But as they progressed, the hub worlds got much, much more involved and much larger. And now here in this game, like there's dozens, like actually a couple dozen different hub worlds outside of the missions and the story content there is a ridiculous amount of stuff to do and see and explore every planet that you see at any point throughout any of the nine star wars movies is represented here and the vast majority of them with only one or two exceptions have a fully explorable hub world on that planet with more stuff to do and probably a hub world that would be bigger than you would think. Not necessarily massive or sprawling, but I was really surprised at the size of a lot of these planets, explorable hub worlds. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's quite a bit to do in them too. I mean, it's like you come into one of these hub worlds like, okay, cool. This is a nice, it's a nice size, like open hub for this game. Uh, Cool. I like that we have this. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, there are multiple hub worlds across multiple planets across every, every like stop in the saga. You've got your open world Jakku. You've got your open world Coruscant. It's not as simple as just throwing them all in one place. You know, it's, there's so, so much in this game. I like, I can't believe it. Like, it's one of those things where you just see the work on display immediately. And I think that. This is kind of where my big takeaway, my my big kind of criticism of the game comes from, I guess, is just the structure of it. Because you've got a kind of like a disparity between your story missions and your open hub world, which has always kind of been, you know, especially in modern Lego games. I think the first open world Lego game was Lego Marvel, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was Lego DC 2. Or something. I think it was Lego Batman 2. Lego Batman 2. Yeah. So, you know, ever since they did that, they've kind of had this, okay, you've got an open world and you've got missions to go to and, and then you just do your typical Lego mission. In this game, it really does feel much more jarring, I feel like, because you do have these multiple hub worlds. It can feel very overwhelming. Like, especially when I first started playing it was extraordinarily overwhelming. And I do think it has the potential, at least depending on your play style, the potential of really kind of hurting the game's pacing. Because for me, I am a hardcore completionist when I play games. It is so hard for me (laughs) when I go into an open world with like things for me to collect. It is so hard for me to just critical path it to the story, but you have to critical path it to the story because it's literally impossible to collect everything until you've played through the story, you know, until you have access to all these characters. Yeah. For a long time, I've just always 
for a long time, there's been one way that I've played Lego games. You play a Lego game in three phases, essentially. You play through the story mode. You play through each of the stages in succession just to get the narrative, just to play through the game, quote unquote, because so many of the Lego levels are intentionally designed to need abilities that you will not have access to when you're playing through the story mode. So you play through the story mode levels, and then once you finish the game and you've unlocked enough characters to be able to have access to all of the abilities you'll need, you'll play through the games again in free play mode, going back through and then finding everything that you need to find, whether it be gold bricks or red bricks or the mini kits or whatever. And then the third phase of the game, especially since Lego uh, Batman 2 is... You go around and you just explore and you do everything you need to do in the hub world. So playing through the story mode, I didn't really concern myself with a lot of the stuff off the beaten path because I knew there was going to be time for it. I especially don't really concern myself with that at the beginning just because you have access to so few characters. More than likely, you're going to run into something you don't have that ability for yet. However, in past games, you still at least could theoretically go around and explore a lot of stuff. One of the things about playing through in story mode is because of the structure of the story mode, there are five levels in story mode, but even outside of the levels, even outside of the proper levels, a lot of what you're doing is directly related to progressing the narrative. So even though you're theoretically supposed to be able to explore stuff, outside of the main levels, there's a lot of times when you're playing through the story mode where you won't even have the ability to to change your character. So my recommendation when playing through Lego Skywalker is just to, just to not even worry about all the extra stuff off the beaten path. Just if you're going to play through the story mode, play through the story mode, do all the required stuff because for the most part, There's not too much you're going to be able to do outside of that. It's basically just a big tease for the post game. Yeah. And I mean, and I agree. And so, you know, with that in mind and I, and I, yeah, I agree. Like people should play the game that way, but I almost feel like they should have just throttled that, that content in that way where like the game ends up feeling like it's a victim of its own design where there are moments where it's like, oh, hey, um, after this cutscene, you just have to follow this character as you slowly walk through the open world and, and get to yeah. the next mission point, basically. Or, hey, this this moment that could have been a cutscene of just a ship flying through space, you're actually going to play that now. And you're out in the open space and there's things even to do in the open space above the planets that have hub worlds. So it's like... It, it almost winds up feeling like a bit of an unnecessary stopgap. Like, I kind of wish that I had the option of just kind of, you know, critical pathing the story. Just, like, take that legwork out for me. Like, don't break it up for me. Just, like, boom, boom, boom. Let me get through the story and then throw me in the open world. I, I kind of wish that's how the content was delivered. Um, but because it isn't, I think it has the potential to hurt the pace for players who are, um, who are like me. I I do recommend people take your advice (laughs) is what I'm saying. And I know this is such a first world problem, but for seven of the episodes, episodes one through seven, we've already had Lego interpretations of right. Lego star Wars interpreted, uh, 
episodes one through three, Lego Star Wars two, the original trilogy. Uh, we already had episodes four through six there. And then Lego Force Awakens got its own game. So we've already had Lego interpretations of all of this content. The problem is because they're cramming in nine into one game, that extra truncated feel, they made the levels smaller. They restructured them to make them play a lot faster so you could actually get through the game in less than 500 hours. <laughs> and I respect that, but there's still some part of me that that still kind of misses all of that content. Because in the old style Lego games, the individual levels were so much more dense. There was so much more to do in those old Lego games. And again, I get it. They had to they had to get through nine episodes in this game. But the individual episodes themselves feel slimmer. They don't feel right. as dense. They feel like there's not as much to them as as the games from 20 years ago now. So there's there's this war going on inside my head. Like, I understand why they did that. And there is so, so much outside of the levels to do that it more than makes up for it. But there's still a part of me that really wishes that all of that content, that those incredibly well-designed dense Lego levels from years past were still there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I sort of agree, but, but, you know, again, just like you, I know why they did it. Now I will say something we should talk about is just the way they've changed the core of this game. I mean, we've talked about the open world and the way it's paced with the mission structure and the missions themselves and everything, but, but how does it play the actual act of playing the game? They have done such a great job. I mean, I can't think of a single gameplay thing that I think is a step back. I think that just about everything is a step forward from the combat to the upgrade paths to the way that the traditional Lego concept of red bricks are handled. Like everything here, I think is an improvement on what came before. Yeah. When it comes to actually the act of actually playing this game, just about every decision that they've made was for the better. Now no longer are you belumbered with gold bricks, a MacGuffin, a collectible, just for the sake of having a collectible. The core collectible in this game is Kyber bricks. Yeah. And anybody who's familiar with Star Wars, you know the reference there. But they actually serve a purpose now in this game. You can upgrade the abilities of your characters. There is an upgrade path that affects all characters. And then each of the different character subtypes, Jedi, Scoundrel, Bounty Hunter, Sith, they all have their own separate upgrade trees as well. And you use the Kyber Bricks, the main collectible of the game, uh, in addition to the studs, the main currency that's been in Lego since the first Lego Star Wars, you use those in tandem to purchase upgrades for all of your characters. And just 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 making that one change, just having gold bricks or the core collectible Kyber bricks now, just having them matter in a way that was more than just, hey, I got another thing. Yeah, so smart. And, and those bricks, by the way, like that's the main collectible. And it actually, the game reminds me of Mario Odyssey in this way. Like... In the way that well, those... Well, there's a lot of them. There, There's a lot. There's like, I think over 1,100 
Kyber bricks. Yes, there's actually over 1,100 to collect in this game. That's how much content, that's what we're saying, that's how much stuff is in LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Mm-hmm. You, the, you talk about there being an actual overwhelming amount of stuff to do. Uh, two dozen hub worlds, this, the massive amount of space, outer space that you can explore, the, again, over 1,100 different core collectibles, it's it's it might might be too much it's yeah. not but it might be well yeah and so and the mario odyssey comparison though is like when you when you see something or like oh i like a lot of times you can visually see the kyber brick but then there are some times when it's like i wonder if there's one over there and like usually there is you know if there's like a cool little pathway or a cool little side objective you can go down even to the point of the game having like full on side quests and like, I mean, you can talk to NPCs and do side missions for them. And there's a tracker. The game's got like full on mini maps and stuff. I mean, there, there's so much to do just with the Kyber bricks, just that as a gameplay device has so much depth to it. But even outside of that, I mean, we've talked about, the collectibles we've talked about the missions and the structure and the format and the narrative and everything that may lead people to believe that it was like, Oh, well, I guess it still plays like a normal Lego game because they haven't really even talked about the controls yet. No, no, there's a lot about this game that feels completely brand new. One of the biggest things about this game is it's movement from a 3d platformer in which the camera is really pulled back to much more cinematic, much more over the shoulder Yes. now. And that, that alone is a huge change. By the way, this also kind of plays back into presentation, but the, the camera being much closer and there being a lot of stuff on the main screen for the first full episode, that really felt kind of suffocating to me. So Thankfully, the options menu gives you the ability to remove a lot of the elements of the hub on the main screen. So that's what I wound up doing because there's a lot going on on the screen. It can actually be a little too much. Interesting. So I yeah. wound up, I wound up reducing everything down to just the current objective indicator and the mini map at the bottom left, and that worked out beautifully for me. So that's just one thing. Just the fact that they brought that camera in is a huge change. Now, don't get me wrong. You've still got your Lego double jump and um, you've still got a lot of other things, but the the combat in the game has been vastly overhauled. There's yes. actual nuance to it now, which blows my mind. I'm not going to say that it's going to hold up to some combat-centric games like Devil May Cry or God of War or something like that. But compared to past Lego games, this is like God of War, Devil May Cry levels of nuance. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Elden Ring, all right? But it's, you know, like it definitely has way more going on. Like, in particular, the lightsaber battles in this game are like awesome. Like the, the camera angles are great. The the way it kind of like closes in, the the fact that you can actually do like, you know... You 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 have a block button where you can block incoming swings of your enemy's lightsaber. Like 
there's actually like enemies will block your attacks sometimes and you have to shake up the way you approach a combat situation. You can't just normally get away with just mashing one button. Like little tiny changes like that, I think really improve everything. I mean, the shooting feels good. Like it plays like a third person shooter complete with cover mechanics. Like what? <laughs> yeah, the melee, they've added two buttons to the melee combat. You have your normal attack button, but once you've started a normal combo, the B button and the A buttons also become attack buttons. You use the B button to do aerial attacks and you use the A button to do special attacks. And again, like Seth said, you'll need to change up your combos in order to defeat some enemies. And even when you're talking about the range combat, again, yeah, full on cover mechanics. Not only can you take cover, your cover can be destroyed. Yeah. But because it's a Lego game, it can be rebuilt. So clever. And and in addition to that, it actually depends. Like if you shoot an enemy in the head, like if you shoot a stormtrooper in the head, it'll knock their helmet off. If you shoot a stormtrooper in the legs, it'll trip them up. For Lego games, this is a ridiculous ridiculously nuanced combat system whether you're doing melee or ranged combat like there's actual things to consider aside from just mindlessly mashing the button and considering how long you're going to be playing the game that is a ridiculously welcome sight yeah I love the way the force is integrated in the game too. The fact that you can, you know, actually pick things up and you'll be doing this a lot, like actually moving them around very well, you know, in the 3d space. And that's for me, a massive step up from just like, Oh, go into this space and hold a button to use the force, you know, like you have much more control over it now. I feel like. And when it comes to the combat, even the space combat, is is so much more uh, fluid and it feels so much better between the normal combat and between the space combat. It almost feels like the game took a lot of cues from Star Wars Battlefront. Actually, I don't know if Battlefront may be the best because during the Death Star battle, I was getting some ridiculously strong Rogue Squadron vibes from the GameCube. Oh, like, sure. Really strong Rogue Squadron vibes <laughs> from the GameCube. Yeah, sure. But you're going to be spending a lot of time in space. You're going to be spending a lot of time in ships. And even those feel really good to control. They feel really good to fight in. As a matter of fact, there are some some very cool, optional, massive, major space battles that you can get into in the various areas outside of the planet's hub world. I mean, you've got... You've got the on-planet hub worlds. You've got the space around the planet that's fully uh, that's fully explorable. By the way, every time you see a blue comet, hit it, kill it. <laughs> if you see a blue comet, that should be the first thing that you go after. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, like just all these little improvements. I mean, a, a lot of like what, what we can say about this game is comparative to the old Lego games. I mean, like... Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is the ultimate realization of these ideas. It is the modernization. It is the next step forward. Um, Another thing here, um, red bricks are gone. um, And they're replaced with these kind of hidden... I think there's 19 of them in the game. These little hidden data cards. Um, And what's really nice about these is they allow the player freedom to choose. I mean, the red bricks in past Lego games were always tied to these fun little extras, stud multipliers, um, you know, like a big head mode kind of, kind of thing, like just dumb stuff like that. Um, In this game, 
you just collect them and they're basically a currency to unlock the extra that you want to unlock. And that, just that, it's just, again, these are simple changes, but they make a world of difference. Maybe even a universe of difference, a galaxy of Ooh. difference even. Ooh. But yeah, there's honestly just so much about this game that really impresses me. Just another thing that I just thought of, the the dioramas that represent the episodes themselves on the yes. main episode select screen, just those dioramas alone are amazing. Just those dioramas that represent the individual episodes themselves are so cool and so well done. There's so much about this game that... I, again, it's just jam-packed full of content and good decisions. Now, one of the biggest things about the game is the fact that for a while, it's going to be a little overwhelming because you're going to have access to menus that show you hundreds of different items and options because there are hundreds of playable characters. There are dozens of different ships. There are, again, hundreds of missions and things that, that you can do that you can kind of start to see even from the beginning of the game. But I mean, once you get into it, once you really immerse yourself in the world of Lego Skywalker, then I, I mean, you're kind of off to the races and it's just, it's 99% a blast. 1% annoyance and jank and the occasional soft lock. But for the most part, it's so much fun. And I was so happy to to spend dozens of hours in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still playing it. I mean, 100%ing this game is going to take a long time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, so, and so there's just so much. I mean, it is one of the most lovingly detailed games I've ever played. Maybe the most lovingly detailed game I've ever played. Um, I, I mean, it just... It's a total like fan service smorgasbord. Like there's so much going on here. Um, again, it's it's so extra. Um, but I mean, the final thing for me that just really makes this. I mean, this is game of the year because I can play as like Dexter Jetster, Max Rebo. <laughs> um, you know, I can I can play as these obscure Star Wars characters, and uh, that makes me very very happy for a really really long time. <laughs> Well, they've got the DLC that Ahsoka is finally going to be coming with mm -hmm. the Mandalorian Season 2 DLC. And I know Ahsoka isn't in the movies. She's probably the most famous Star Wars character to not appear in the movies. But I'm glad that finally she is taking her rightful place in Lego Skywalker Saga when we get the Mandalorian Season 2. There's actually a lot of really good, really cool characters that they have as the DLC. So if you got the deluxe version, you already have it. But if you don't, I mean, it's extra money. But there, there's some really cool characters there in the DLC on top of the hundreds that are already available in the game. So just final thoughts on it. It's not without its problems. Again, there is some jank. There are some bugs. And I do still wish that a lot of the old content from those old Lego games, they had been able to put in here somewhere. But ultimately, the gameplay engine with the new combat and the new vehicle uh, controls is so much better than what it used to be. The combat, both ranged and melee, is so much fun. The active exploration is a ton 
a ton of fun. You won't be able to run, probably literally, you won't be able to run three seconds without running into something new that you can do in one of these, again, dozens of hub worlds. If you want to go explore Kashyyyk, if you want to go explore Coruscant, I mean, they could like... There's so, so much to do that if you are even a passing fan of uh, Star Wars, then you are going to find so, so much to love about this game. It might be the best Star Wars game ever made. I It's definitely the best Lego game ever made. Um, it's definitely the most fan-forward Star Wars game ever made. Um, I mean, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find people who are like, you're going to take a Lego game over Kotor and you know Jedi Fallen Order and stuff like that. But I mean, for what this game is, it is the ultimate representation of the Lego game idea. You you could not ask for a better Lego game than this. I I genuinely don't know how we can go bigger than this. And I mean. It's, it's one of those things, you know, we've reported on the crunch culture and, and things that were going on at, at Traveler's Tales, but it's it's hard to play this game and not feel like you're seeing the, um, just, you're not just seeing the fruits of so many people's labor here. And I, I hope that you guys feel encouraged to check the game out for yourselves and support these developers because uh, they bled for this game, man. Like they, and, and it's so clear in the work. I mean, we have little nitpicks and there's jank. There's, there's a few little bugs and everything, but I mean, what we have here is such an incredible package. And I think it's the very height of, of Lego and video games. It's not enough, Seth. I need Lego infinity saga now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, I can, I can walk around as salacious B crumb in this game and that's, you know, like that's all I need. I just, I love the, the, the characters. There's like 350 plus characters in this game and like they get stupid with it, man. I just, oh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. Each of the Knights of Ren, each of the individual Knights of Ren, and like even among the hundreds of playable characters, a lot of the playable characters have like half a dozen different versions depending on different costumes or different ways they've shown up throughout the course of multiple movies. I think uh, like Luke and Padme each have like seven or eight different variations that you can play as just as part of their single character slot. So it's just absolutely stupid, just a stupid amount of content and fan service. And I'm here for each and every piece of it. Well done Traveler's Tales. Uh, I, I definitely want to support you guys. Definitely want to support the 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 the, the developer level employees over at Traveler's Tales, yeah. who have dealt with so much crud over the past few years. Thank you guys for what you have done. Thank you for this really great game. I hope that it's not another five years before we get the next Lego game, because you guys have set a pretty high bar with this one. Yes. Thank you guys so much for all of your hard work. The, the the game, your hard work shows in the final product. Thank you very much. Absolutely. But have you guys tried out Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga? Do you plan on picking up Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga now? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In podcast come join the conversation over on discord join us in the spoiler zone where we can talk about all those juicy 30 year old star wars spoilers (laughs) 
Make sure to check us out on twitch.tv slash allinpodcast, youtube.com slash allinpodcast. And of course, we have All In, a Nintendo podcast, the podcast, mm-hmm. which you can like, follow, and subscribe to over on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Splinter, and a thousand <laughs> different other places now. <laughs> yes. So, but in addition to that, guys, thank you for hanging out with us each and every Saturday making us part of your weekly rotation. We appreciate it more than you know. Namaste. And, Seth. Yeah? You missed an Easter egg from this morning. I hid one of them too well, apparently. Oh, oh God. Where, where is it? You're actually sitting on it, Seth. I don't know how you didn't see it. What? I, hang on a second. It's a foot and a half tall and you're sitting on it. How did you not notice that? How has that not been incredibly uncomfortable for you the past two hours? This, literally this whole time. What What is this? It's actually a gift for you. I'm surprised it hasn't hatched already yet. Hang on, I think it, I think it's actually starting to. There you go, Seth. I hope you like it. Hey, is this, What what is this? Happy Easter, Seth. I got you some more free time. Oh my gosh. I you know how much I've been looking for more free time. More time to spend making content for all in. And actually, folks who might want to hear a little bit more about that might want I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but you may want to tune into twitch.tv slash all in podcast next Thursday to uh, to learn what that means. But Eric, thank you so much for this Easter gift. I, I've always wanted more time. No problem. It was hard to come across. Don't get me wrong. There's not a lot of it going around these days, but I was able to uh, to scrounge up a little bit for you this Easter for my wonderful little co-host. Oh, thank you so much. Well, again, uh, twitch.tv slash all in podcast next Thursday for more details on, on what I might possibly do with this newfound time. Um, happy Easter, everybody. Um, happy Passover to those who observe Passover. That's actually uh, happening today. Um, so yeah, good vibes all around, man. Kirby month continues next week. Um, Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of stuff to play this weekend. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. And you guys are definitely going to want to see what Seth is going to do with his free time next thursday but happy easter happy passover thanks again for hanging out with us another saturday at all in a nintendo podcast i have been star wars the eric unleashed and i have been seth snacks we'll catch you guys next week we love you very much seth Seth, yeah i find your lack of a star wars reference in this outro disturbing oh yeah you know what that's 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 fair okay okay guys I'll, I'll I'll take that again. We'll see you next week. We love you very much. And may the force be with you. Always. May the force be with you, everyone. <laughs>